Who's Kaiser Sose? He's supposed to be Turkish. Some say his father was German. Nobody ever believed he was real. One story the guys told me, the story I believe, was from his days in Turkey. There was a gang of Hungarians that wanted their own mob. They realized that to be in power, you didn't need guns or money or even numbers. You just needed the will to do what the other guy wouldn't. After a while, they come into power and then they come after Soze. He was small time then, just running dope, they say. They come to his home in the afternoon looking for his business. They find his wife and kids in the house and decide to wait for Soze. He comes home to find his wife raped and children screaming. They tell him they want his territory, all his business. Soze looks over the faces of his family. Then he showed these men of will what will really was. Him, he would rather see his family dead than live another day after this. He lets the last Hungarian go. He waits until his wife and kids are in the ground, and then he goes after the rest of the mob. He kills their kids. He kills their wives. He kills their parents and their parents' friends. He burns down the houses they live in and the stores they work in. He kills people that owe them money. And like that, when you walk through the garden, how to watch your back? Well, I beg your pardon. Walk the straight and narrow track. If you walk with Jesus, He's gonna save your soul. You gotta keep a devil. minutes and 15 seconds after the hour of 11. In this, the month of March of the year of our Lord, 2009, thank you for coming by and making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed, yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970, The Talker. This, my friends, is the Rick Emerson radio program on excursion into whimsy. Guess that I'm holding in my hands. I know what that is. Ladies and gentlemen, I haven't opened the box yet, so I can't be entirely sure, but I'm... I'm almost entirely positive it is, in fact, Magic Shave, uh, which is a facial hair care product for today's stylish black man. And by black man, I mean me, Rick Emerson. All right. All right. So we'll, uh, we'll open this in the, 
Deal with my uh, facial hair here in just a bit. Our good friend Keelan sent this to us. I haven't opened it yet, but I'm almost positive that's what that is. Hey, this is weird, but can you turn me down ever so slightly? There's really? too much Rick. Who are you? What have you done with Rick? It's the force of my personality, Sarah. I'm doing more with less volume today. It's 503-733-2970. Thank you for coming along. 503-733-2970. If you'd like to be part of today's program with your comments, questions, clarifications, kvetches, ruminations, musings of an ironic nature, whatever it is you might have. 503-733-2970. Richie Bristol standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, or the absurd. Uh, coming up later on, uh, film.com's... Dawn Taylor will be here in the uh, studio. I think she'll give kind of her unexpurgated thoughts on Watchmen, which opens today. Aaron Duran from GeekInTheCity.com will be here. He'll have his Watchmen thoughts as well. We'll talk more about it because it does go into wide release. In fact, I think it opened, like for everybody, you know, for the common people, I think it opened last night at midnight or, you know, yeah, like... like 1201, uh, I think. Uh, so it's, I think they were doing screenings all night long. So the, the, like at it, it, midnight and then 3 and then 6 and whatever. So... We will Can we have people call in who maybe watched it in the middle of the night? Yes, we I want to hear other people's opinions. Yes, we should, Sarah. Yes. Uh, so if you have seen Watchmen, and you may not have, who knows, uh, but if you've seen Watchmen, uh, we want to hear from you. We'll have more reviews on that as the day go on and so forth. It is 503-733-2970. Also joining us today, CNN Radio correspondent Dick Giuliano. Uh, he'll be here uh, later on in this hour. Then CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum joining us at Straight Up Noon. Uh, and I believe Jim Roop will be joining us at 115 as well. Uh, let's see. We'll be doing the top five. Aaron bringing a top five with him today. Top five songs that he is surprised to have heard people singing out loud in bars. There we go. Top five <laughs> songs he is surprised to have heard people singing out loud in bars. Uh, let's see. We have, uh, What am I thinking of? I was thinking of Mr. Skin. We have Mr. Skin uh, yesterday, but I do believe we're going to try to rustle up Dorothy Carcassari today, Richie Bristol. Since I believe that was supposed to be... That's the look on Richie's face just now. Here's here's the look on Richie's face right now when I said Dorothy Carcassari. You just did the uh, you just did that Bugs Bunny look right before they do the what is that what is that called? It's called the circle wipe where the where the screen goes down and then it's like to a tiny little hole. You know where the, it's like the circle that closes up the screen. You just did the whole. Did I do that? Do 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 do. Like a Betty Boop kind of a look on your face. That is the look that says. I, Richie Bristol, completely forgot to call Dorothy Carcassari yesterday. Isn't that so, Richie Bristol? Yeah. All right. Feel some shame. Well, we got to touch her because they got all that, uh, they got that Rihanna and Chris Brown stuff happening. Uh, boy, man, I read more of that. They're going to fix his little red wagon. Oh, you have no did idea. Did you read the full police report? Yes, I did, that Sarah. That is so unpleasant. Oh, they're going to F him like he has never been f before. They're going to... He's, he's never going to be able to stand again, uh, much less walk. I mean, that's a figurative effing. Honestly, and this is like just being speculative. Like, I was watching the live feed from when he pulled up to the courthouse yesterday. Yes. This is now. This is you're simply making an observation making an as observ- a journalist, as of nothing, as, yeah. a, as a pundit, Sarah. Dude, I was just. I I would not have been surprised if if somebody had taken a shot at him. I was expecting it. Now we're not saying that should happen, of course. No, because... no but I was. Ex- I was watching it, and I saw him get out of the car, and I was just it, like. The tone of that story and the way that cocky guy is walking, I, I just kind of expect. I was watching. I'm like, this is gonna. I'm like, this is gonna go down in history. Something's gonna happen here. I mean, not that it makes any difference because wrong is wrong, but is she's not a big woman, is she? She's is she? Tiny. Is she a tiny woman? Yeah, she's a little tiny girl. Because I mean, again, I'm not, I'm not saying that makes any difference. I'm just saying in terms of public perception. Look, let's let's be honest. It's one thing if you're uh, whether you're trying to pick a fight with one of the snooze snooze girls or something from Futurama. It's another thing. I mean, just in ter- again in terms of perception. 
If you're allegedly uh, wailing on some uh, little stick bird woman who weighs like 80 pounds or something, that's just that's not going to win you any friends inside or out. But no. good thing that he was out till 3:45 in the morning last night partying. Well, you know, he's got to live while he's alive. He can exactly. sleep while he's. Um, Hiding from shower rapists. Um, hey, so I'm going to open this box of magic shave while we uh, while we plunge on ahead. It's very exciting. I almost feel like I got to wait for David Walker to be here though, because didn't uh, didn't Keelan specifically request that David Walker be in yeah, the studio when I try this? But we're well, gonna I'm going to open it. it. I won't. Maybe I won't use it. No, we can. There's enough, I'm sure, for. Dawn is not a black woman or a black man. I don't think we can. I don't think we can do it with Dawn in the studio only. I mean, do you feel like I could do some today? Yes. And then some... All right. Well. Hey, I use the nose kettle thing. <laughs> You're putting yes. the beautiful black man yes, hair removal is. stuff on your face. Yes, I am, Sarah. All right. Well, in any event, it's 503-733-2970. Coming up today, uh, CNN Radio correspondent James Roop, Steve Kastenbaum, Dick Juliano will do the top five. Aaron Duran will be here with his Watchmen review. Uh, we'll also talk about CBS Radio Theater, which airs again this coming Sunday, 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. A brand new episode of AZ, After Zombies, uh, which, of course, is a uh, radio uh, drama serial that takes place right here in uh, the Rose City after the zombie apocalypse has happened. I believe it's a two-parter starting this Sunday. I think it's called Preludes Part 1. Also, uh, a new episode of Kimmy Waters. It is Kimmy Waters and the thing that I just forgot. I had it. I'll find it later. It's on my it's on my blog. A brand new episode of Kimmy Waters is coming up tonight on CBS or Sunday uh, the CBS Radio Theater as well. It is Kimmy Waters and the Stumptown Starlet. That is this coming Sunday, CBS Radio Theater, 6 p.m. The 7 p.m. All right, and uh, so forth. We never got the the, the video rodeo thing uh, for Sarah from yesterday, so we'll try to do that as oh, well. Oh, we don't have to. I'm just we have saying, so many other things to get to. Here's get bogged down with Well, that. here's the thing, though, is that we've done so many awful videos, and we forced each other to watch so many terrible things on the Internet, which really is the grand... That is, I mean, really, just to use Robert Cringley's term, that is just the killer application of the Internet. There's this phrase they use in computer called the killer app, and the killer app is the... That is the use or program or feature that in and of itself, it alone justifies the purchase of some new piece of equipment because you've got to be able to use whatever. So like for the uh, for the Apple II, it was a thing called VisiCalc, which was a spreadsheet. And uh, it, like the killer app for broadband is file sharing because you've got to have broadband be able to do it. Uh, the killer app for the Macintosh with desktop publishing. So it is a thing that in and of itself justifies the purchase of a new technological item because you want to be able to use whatever the thing was. I know a lot of people who bought a computer for the first time because they wanted to be able to use uh, the old Napster way, way back when. So the, the video rodeo and really uh, the forced watching of something awful and vile and off-putting and altogether horrible, that is really the killer app uh, for broadband at this point and certainly in the studio. So Sarah has watched all kinds of video rodeo uh, submissions. These terrible things, things that shouldn't be, and you're not really phased by most of them. Somebody suggested something today, and here's the thing is, I haven't seen it, but it, the thing is, it's not, it's not the kind of thing you would think of. It's not violent, and it's not sexual in the in the strictest I, I, I sort of sense. I can't handle anything that's like that fingertip thing again. I think about that every day. Has nothing to do with lamprey eels on your fingertips. Ugh. Has nothing to do. With, well, has nothing to do with that. Goosebumps, like thinking about how gross that is. I'll tell you what it is, after this. And by this, I mean, hello, Sarah Dillon. How oh, are you hello. today? I was like, we're breaking already? No, no, no. We're uh, just asking you how you are and what you did last night. Oh, what did I do? Oh, I hung out with a couple of my girlfriends and watched uh, and drank wine and watched Sweet Valley High. And then we decided to find all the old characters from Sweet Valley High on Facebook and send them all messages. Sweet Valley High, the movie? Sweet Valley High, the TV series from the 90s. I didn't... My sister used to work for the Seattle Weekly, so they'd send her, like, she got a bunch of random DVDs. So she gave me, when she moved to New York, a bunch of the DVDs she got, and one of them was... 
the first season of Sweet Valley High, which is hilarious. And to Sarah, I leave my collection of Sweet Valley High DVDs. <laughs> yeah, so Kelsey and Heather came over, and yeah, and we ate food. And was this an hour-long drama? Was it like a 90210 kind of a thing, no, or was it like a sitcom? Terrible. It was a sitcom. It was like California Dreams or like Saint wow. by the Bell. But it was in like the like the worst fashion time in the 90s, and nobody could act. Uh, so we so we spent time watching Sweet Valley High. Um, hanging out and then finding pe- out all the characters' real names and then finding them on MySpace and Facebook and sending them messages pertinent to the episodes. So I think you're watching. the best actress who's ever lived. No, we're asking. Yeah, it was. God, that sounds lame, but Wonderful. it was really, really. No, 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 that's uh, no, no, that's quite something. But hey, I've, I've yet to hear back from any of them. What, what could they possibly be doing? But I mean, they all had Facebook accounts, right? They all had Facebook accounts, especially the guy who played Winston. Ladies, if you watch Sweet Valley High, you know Winston was like the nerdy guy. Mm-hmm. And we found him, and he is like model hot now. Really? Yeah. He's so grown into his looks. Into him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you <laughs> know what the thing is, he's probably gettable at this point. Because really, what is he doing? I think so. He's single and 32 and living in California. Yeah, just sitting around waiting for that reunion call to come. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Keep looking at that phone, friend. All right, that's genius. Uh, I uh, I don't think I did anything interesting. The end. Um, oh, you know, you know, I did this. I will tell you this. Here's what I did because Laura got back from Provo last night, and I have a story about. I have a story about airport security, but it's not my story, so I can tell it. It gets grandfathered in because I have promised, not I mean for my own self, that I will not complain about airport security more. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna complain. I'm not gonna carp. I'm not gonna whine. I'm not gonna bitch. I'm not gonna moan. I'm not gonna come in here and just sort of lament the stripping away of my civil liberties and an entire nation of free men turned into one unthinking herd of cattle. I'm not gonna do that. I will, however relay an airline security story that my wife has and i will do oh, that she got back last night right? she got back last night so i'll just say this so i so laura called me last night around i don't know around six or seven o'clock because we we hadn't quite known i didn't know when her plane was going to get him and so she calls me at like six six thirty and then she's like hey so i'm at the salt lake city airport and i'm getting on the plane i'm going to be back to portland at like nine thirty or whatever and i said okay and i said so how's everything going she goes oh fine she says i just had the worst experience with airport security and i said what, what do you mean? Would please to explain? And so she told me that she was getting ready to go through the metal detector, and she was wearing this sweater. And it's just, you know, there's no zipper, there's no, I mean, there's buttons, but there's no metal on it. There's nothing of any kind. And the woman who's running the uh, metal detector says, "I'm going to need you to take off that sweater." And I guess it's got buttons that are a little, that are a little bit hard to do. I guess the buttonhole is real small, the buttons are real big, and once you got it on, it's some, it's some, like you can't just be taking it off and on all the time. And so. The woman's like, I'm going to have to have you walk to the metal detector. And Lara says, uh, okay. And the woman says, also, you have to take off that sweater. And my wife says, well, I, if it's all the same to you, I'd, I'd rather not. It's kind of a pain. Could I just, I mean, if it beeps, you know, I'll take it off and put me through again. But you know, I'd rather leave the sweater on. And the woman says, okay. So Lara walks through the metal detector. Sure enough, it doesn't beep. And yet, what immediately happens? They yank her out of line and they take her into like the full like cavity search area or whatever. They're she like, strip down? Well, I don't think they I don't think they made her strip down, but I think they made her take off the sweater and I think they started rummaging through all her stuff. And it was clearly because she didn't take the sweater off. It was because she did that thinking for herself uh, thing. So because she didn't take the sweater off, they pulled over to the side and they're kind of going through all her crap. But the story gets so much better because as they're rooting around in her bag and they're like you know looking in, you know in her socks and you know they're like. I don't know, shining something up her nose or whatever. And she actually asks the woman, she says, is this because I didn't take my sweater off? And the woman says, yes. And Lara said, you know, if I can ask, it didn't beep in Portland and it didn't beep just now. So why do I have to take off my sweater? Like, what, what is the reason for that? And the TSA woman says, well, you know, there were two planes that just crashed in Russia recently. And then just sort of leaves it at that. And there's long silence and Lara says, well, okay, I understand, but so? And then the woman from the TSA says the following. She says, 
Well, ma'am, if you want your plane to crash, that's up to you. <gasps> well, who says that? At PDX? Uh, no, this is in Salt Lake City. This is at the Salt Lake City Airport. Like, who says that to somebody, especially if you're a de facto cop? And I don't know if the TSA people are cops or not. I think, as uh, Max Cady says in Cape Fear, I think it might be, are you a cop or were you a cop? Or were you not good enough to remain on the force? Because that's the feeling that I'm getting about this situation. But, so I don't know if they're actual cops or not, but they are de facto cops. I mean, they're government employees, I believe, and they're there, and they have the authority to take you over and search your anus and whatnot. So I think that that probably makes them cops. And so the cops said to her, the TSA one said, well, ma'am, it's up to you if you want your plane to crash. I, I don't. I think that constitutes vague, threatening language. Yeah, that's kind of abusive. And so I told her, I'm like, you know what? If I were you, I'd be filing a complaint against that person. Like, you can't, you know, because if you said that in an airport, if you made some crack about, well, if you want the plane to crash, that's up to you. They would, man, they'd be tasing your ass immediately. Uh, they would have you on the ground and they'd be searching your internal organs uh, with a penknife. So I told her to go back and get the uh, woman's name and badge number and to file a, file a complaint. So she's going to be doing that. So I feel happy about that. So as she's having uh, this whole conversation with me on the phone, I'm doing what every guy does when his wife is getting ready to come back from town. I'm whipping around the house like a dervish, cleaning it up, trying to pretend that I haven't just been wallowing in my own crepulence uh, for a week, which I have. And just taking out every scrap of trash, emptying trash cans like I haven't even touched just on the off chance that I might have put like a Mars bar wrapper or something in there. Because mm -hmm. you don't really want to give away the, like your entire diet during the time she's been gone. It's consisted of... You don't want to give away all the slothiness. Whole milk and pecan sandies. So I'm cleaning the house. And the great thing about having your wife leave and then come back is you know that at least when she gets back, the house will be spotless because you have to make the house spotless because you have to hide just all of the filth that you wallow in during her absence. So mm -hmm. that was my night. Then uh, she came home, and uh, I slept not at all, by the way, because after all of this not sleeping because she was gone and the routine's all thrown off and whatever, then it's like I just adjusted to it, and then she came back and was snoring, by the way, and so I didn't sleep at all last night. So I've had effectively no sleep. I have, for all intents and purposes, been up now for... I'd say 36 hours. So it's going to be a fantastic show. One of the best we've ever had. Indeed. Hello, Richie Bristol. How are you? Good. Good morning. How are you doing? How are you? I'm fine. Are Good. We... Take a vacation next month. Sure. I'm going to Amsterdam. <gasps> Amsterdam's beautiful. All right. Maybe May. Maybe. All right. Uh, sometime in May, you're going to Amsterdam. Yeah. Uh, well. Oh, know. you can see the Van Gogh Museum. And Ask me on And you can see Anne Frank's house. And you can ri uh, rent a bicycle and go riding around and go see the red light district and see all the prostitutes in the windows. That's the first thing everybody says. You're going to go to red light district. It's cool. You see prostitutes in windows. Did I ever tell you this great idea I had? Don't for go to the banana place. <laughs> Richie, don't Never. ever go, don't ever go to the banana place, Richie. No. Especially dressed as don't a girl. go to the banana show. <laughs> I'm just saying, do not go I'm to the not banana. I'm not going even, to no banana show. You'll never be able to eat a banana again. I don't even know what it is. I'll be giving a banana show. Though. Please don't ever say that again. <laughs> See, that's the thing. You got to learn to quit talking one line before you think you should. Okay. Here's the thing: in your head, when you're seeing the script it's of like George Costanza, exactly. <laughs> when you're sort of seeing in your head the conversation that you're going to be having with us, or your you know your brain is uh, is is you know telling you what your next comment's going to be. As we kind of go through this discussion, you need to quit one line from the end because the final line is always uh, it's always unacceptably creepy. I would say so. We'll revisit the Amsterdam don't thing. Don't stay later. in the Flying Pig Hostel, though. Okay. Don't go to the Banana Show and don't stay in the Flying Pig. <laughs> yeah, the Richie. Flying Pig Hostel that I stayed in, uh, there was blood spattered on the walls, <laughs> and um, and we were supposed to be staying. I was with a, a one of my friends who was Fantastic. a female as well, and you're supposed to stay in hostels. They're supposed to pair you up, you know, with somebody sure. like your own gender. And we go, come in, there are two giant sleeping Russian men in the bunk beds across from us. And the um, 
the shower ran scalding hot water nonstop. That's you can take great. a shower and the whole thing was filled with snow. Hello, little girl. You sleep on lap. Oh. All right. Uh, don't forget one random on-air caller today wins a copy of My Two Dads, the complete Ooh. first season on DVD. When 12-year-old Nicole Bradford is left orphaned by her mother's passing, Judge Margaret Wilbur places her in the custody of two quarreling former best friends, both of whom are suspected of being her biological father. Conservative financial advisor Michael Taylor, Paul Reiser, and liberal artist Joey Harris, Greg Evigan of Tech War fame. Co-starring Stacey Keen and Florence Stanley and hero, uh, football hero Dick Butkus, My Two Dads promises to be fun for the entire family. That is My Two Dads, a complete first season uh, on DVD. And I can't remember exactly how they get around the issue of the woman being a hussy. Because if she was getting it on with both these guys, either of whom could have been the dad, I, I, I'm not exactly sure how they sort of skirted the issue of her apparently being the town pump. But in any event, so they, but it is fun for the whole family. So I guess I guess it negates the issue. So they both humped her, and the girl doesn't know who her real father is. No, that's kind of sad. It is. Hey, uh, did I ever tell you my great idea for a trauma film uh, is set in Amsterdam? No. It would be where um, it would be where Anne Frank is brought back uh, from beyond the grave to hunt down Nazi war criminals and then to dispatch them with extreme prejudice. That's awesome. No, 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 but it's, it's, you see, it's all worth it for the punchline here. Okay. Clyde and I had this whole thing brainstormed because, you know, we, we know Lloyd Kaufman who, you know, runs Troma Films and he made the Toxic Avenger and Tromeo and Juliet and whatever. So we had this whole thing we were going to pitch uh, Lloyd and it was going to be that they bring back, they resurrect uh, Anne Frank. And then, uh, it, it, you know, and it would be like Serpenter in G.I. Joe, where maybe if she was, you know, if she, if she was, like, missing a part, they'd have to, like, find a part from somebody else. But they would they would bring Anne Frank back from the dead, and then she would hunt down Nazi war criminals, and then she would just, uh, she would, uh, just obliterate them in the most horrible, awful, violent ways. And it would be called The Diary of Anne Frankenstein. The Diary of Anne Frankenstein. And then... That's pretty genius. Right. That's Have you ever been to Anne Frank's house? No. I've it, never... You know I've never been. Oh, anywhere. yeah, I forgot. I forgot, I forgot. Right. No, um, it's... It's a, it's the strangest, saddest, like, spook. That's so strange. Like, you get to go behind the, the cabinet that they hid in, and she right. saw, like, pieces of magazines that she had uh, glued onto the walls, and they're still on there and stuff. It's... This is really the dichotomy on the show and the dynamic that we've established is that you're a good person and I make everything awful. Hey, let me just read this, speaking of awful things. Rick, has it occurred to you that women should never, ever, ever date musicians named Brown? Chris Brown, James Brown, Bobby Brown? It must be in the name. Issue this warning to all women now. Never date a musician named Brown. All right, there you go. Let's do one call. We'll take a break. Come back after this with Dick Uliano. Hello. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. How can I help you? Goodbye, Rick. How are you doing today? Did you just start the call by saying goodbye? Yes, because you guys complain that no one ever says goodbye anymore. Oh, well, thank you. Okay. I appreciate that. I thought maybe you knew something we didn't, which is entirely um, possible, I suppose. Well, I did go to the uh, How's Your News screening last night. <gasps> was that yesterday? I thought it was in May. God. No, it was last night. How's Your I'm News? I'm sorry. I dropped the ball on that one. I have the post-it note right how's here. How's Your News, which is that MTV news program that is hosted and run by God's most special children. I we The guy from How's Your News called and left a message on the voicemail. We were going to call it's him back. It's been a week. I totally forgot. It's been a bit of a week, but uh, I thought it was in May. Okay, well, what, what was the screening? Where was it at, sir? It was at the Hollywood Theater. Okay, and so what? what was the deal? What happened there? Uh, well, they showed a couple of the episodes um, and the original documentary right. and like the the original genesis of it when they were doing 
like film projects at the camp for God's special people. Right. Okay. And it was legitimately awesome. I mean, it, it, from everything I have heard, it is pretty great. I mean, the, you know, obviously there's, I mean, it, you know, and it's, it's produced by Matt Stone from South Park, so you can, you know, you can kind of like look at it and snicker or whatever. But uh, from everything I have heard, it is actually pretty righteous. So yeah, I mean, anyone who says that it's like exploitative or makes fun of them, I mean, they can bite my shiny metal ass. Excellent, good for you. Well, nobody's giving me a show on MTV, so I mean, you know, excellent. All right then, thank you, my friend. Hello. <laughs> Excellent. I like that. <laughs> Best audience ever. Well done, sir. Well, on that note, we'll take a break. Come back after this. It's 503-733-2975. That's going to make me smile all day. 503-733-2970. Dick Uliano around the corner. Coming up later on, uh, Cena Radio Correspondent Steve Castor. I'm James Roop, Don Taylor, and I open my box of Magic Shave. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Don't... It is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Thank you for coming along. Don't forget, coming up later on, CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastabam, as well as James Roop, also Don Taylor. Aaron Duran will be here, both with Watchmen Reviews, and uh, we'll have uh, today's top five as well. It's 503-733-2970. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from the Hill, CNN Radio correspondent Dick Uliano. Hello, sir. How are you on this fine Friday? Hey, I'm doing great. My moment to shine on the Rick Emerson Show. You know, it, you know, you shine all the time. It's simply our moment to look. Oh, all right. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> hey, uh, let me ask you this about, uh, about health care and the Barack Obama administration, because you hear this phrase a lot in politics. They talk about the third rail and the third rail is, you know, it's a subway term where it's the thing you, you touch it and it kills you. And they, right. you, it, depending on what administration it is or what time of day it is, you hear different things called the third rail in politics. And sometimes yes. it's social security or right. immigration or gay marriage or whatever. Uh, but health care seems to be, I mean, that is certainly the thing that derailed the Clinton administration right. early on. So uh, is there any sort of hope that it's going to go better for the Obama administration from their uh, perspective? Yeah, that's, that's, great point at which to start the conversation, and, and, and I think that uh, you're right. This is not the third rail that we have heard so much about in the past, because everybody really believes that the time is right, that the elements of the planets are in line for this. You have a Democratic president, you have a Democratic uh, majority in both the House and the Senate. Uh, there is one little nagging problem. We're broke. We're in the midst of an economic crisis. So while everybody seems to want to move in this direction of universal health insurance coverage, the problem is uh, that uh, at this moment in our history, uh, the federal government is operating at a deficit, and people are wondering where the money is going to come to come from. rather. And in any event, the president had this summit at the White House. And, Rick, I think one of the most interesting moments at this health summit was who shows up there but um, – the terminal brain cancer victim, Senator Ted Kennedy, who we have not seen in weeks. He's been too sick to be on the Hill, but he turns up at this health summit because he has long been a champion of universal health coverage, and he really inspires an emotional crowd saying, this time we will not fail. Well, and does it, in a strange way, does the, does the weirdness with the current economic situation, does that help 
the healthcare argument. Because on the one hand, you're like, well, how are we going to pay for this? But on the other hand, they say, with you know, 50 million people or something with no healthcare, right. and it contributes to bankruptcy and financial ruin and all of that. And so it it is maybe motivation to get our our uh, healthcare house in order. Uh, again, you know, another great question because I I think it makes it harder. I think it makes it harder for President Obama and the Democrats to do this because those who oppose universal health insurance coverage can continue to pro- point to the price tag and say, okay, maybe it's a good idea, but how in the world are we going to pay for this? What President Obama and what the Democrats are trying to do right now is is to go beyond their argument that this is a moral imperative, uh, that these nearly 50 million Americans without health insurance get coverage because uh, they, they really need this and they ought to have it. And they're saying, look, this is also an economic issue. It's bankrupting people. Uh, if someone gets a terminal illness in the family, it destroys the family. Uh, it's hurting people's economies. People like you and I who work every day and get uh, health insurance provided by our employers, our premiums are going up. So, you know, uh, we have less money to spend. So what, what they're trying to do is fold in that argument and use it uh, in, their, in their benefit. Uh, as we sort of wrap this up, I can't even keep track of what spending bills are passing and what yeah. spending bills are being blocked and what money is going to be freed up and what isn't. So the U.S. Senate today postponed a planned vote on this $410 billion spending plan on Thursday. Now, is this, is this $410 billion part of this this latest stimulus package or is no. it part of is this a separate 400 billion it's separate remember the congress passed the 787 billion dollar economic stimulus bill that was a special item to sort of goose the economy the president also proposed a 3.6 trillion dollar 2010 federal budget this is leftover business from last year because Congress did not finish work on the 2009 budget spending for this year. That's what that is. And uh, they put the brakes on it in the Senate because it's a big spending bill and it has a lot of earmarks, these pet spending projects by individual members of Congress. They, everybody thought it would pass, but it's the first big slap here in town at some big spending measures. And they'll go back to the drawing boards in the Senate next week and try to redo this with allowing Republicans to offer amendments and change it. By the way, I like the idea that we're going to be, quote, goosing the economy. It's sort of like we're, <laughs> like, we're, uh, like we're copping a financial field. All right. On that note, my friend, have a fantastic have a weekend. weekend. All right. Talk to you soon. There you go. That's uh, Dick Juliano. All right. Uh, let's see. Rick, this email says, hey, do you think your dog ever bites his own tongue or cheek while eating? You know, just like we do. Curious. Yeah, I don't know, sir, and I'm not going to think about it. Uh, hello, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show, sir or madam, is the case maybe. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to let you know if you knew that today at 18 seconds past 12 is going to be 3, 6, 9, 12, 15, 18. I did not know that. Wait a minute. So at 3 seconds past what? No, at 18 seconds past 12, 15. So 12, 15, and 18 seconds. Right. It'll be 369-1215-18. That's pretty fantastic. Pretty cool. It, it, and it wasn't the... Wait a minute, but that's not today that it's square root day. Wasn't there like... Wasn't it square root day the other day? Where it was like 3-3? Yeah. Th- I guess that was 3-3. Three, three. Yeah, it was 3-3, three, three, yeah. Because I guess that's maybe the... Uh, not the only time you can do it, but I mean, I guess like 2-2-4 two, two, would have been square root day, right? Right. Maybe? I got nothing. All right. 12-15-18. Okay, I'll be keeping an eye out for it, sir. Excellent. All right, Best thank, show ever. Thank you, my friend. All right, no, no, no. There you go. It's all, it's, all about, you, you, it's, all, it's all about calls like that. And the guy who started his call with goodbye and ended it with hello. 
That really is what makes this the best show ever. I'm going to start doing that with all my calls. It's fantastic. I mean, and then you're kind of getting it out of the way. Um, hey, Don Taylor's going to be here later on, but uh, before we do anything else, I'm just going to read this email, then we'll open the uh, then we'll open the magic shave, and then I have this other Mythbusters question that i got to get out of the way. I was emailing back and forth with Don Taylor about something today. Um, he, this is back up, because I was watching Anderson Cooper 360 last night, and Don's favorite story from the past few weeks was about this guy in, I believe, in, uh, was it El Salvador or something? But it's some guy called the Stew Maker. And he was this guy who was, I guess if you were going to kill some sort of rival in the drug wars, you know, like you didn't want the body around, and you didn't have Chris and Snoop to put him in a vacant, and so you'd take him to this guy, and he would, I don't know, he'd reduce him down to some sort of gelatinous goo. I mean, he had something like a, like a, he had a big bucket of acid or something he'd stick him in. Anyways, but according to... All the conservative estimates were that he had liquefied 300 people. And, in fact, he was so well-known, he had a nickname. He was the Stoolmaker. And I don't know what that is in Spanish, uh, but it's something or other. And so it, Don just absolutely latched onto the story of the Stoolmaker. So I'm watching AC360 last night, and they're doing and without even They didn't even tease it. They just sprung, sprang. They sprung it on me. They surprised me with it. And they said... They said uh, he had an appellation that struck terror into everyone's heart. He was the stew maker. Our own blah, blah, blah reports. And then they show some guy in like El Salvador or whatever. It's like talking about the stew maker. And then they show like the place where he made the stew and the whatever. So I emailed Don this morning and I said, I was watching Anderson uh, Cooper 360 and they had a section on the stew maker. They didn't seem to be quite as giddy about his existence or his job as we do. No appreciation for style. And then she emails back and she says, this is Dawn emailing. She says, damn, I missed it. I hope it's available on the web. She says, sometimes I worry about my fascination with such things. My husband once gave me the Encyclopedia of Serial Killers as a birthday gift, but it's best not to delve into that. Uh, and then we started talking about the phrase corpse disposal technician. I am getting to the end of this email chain, but I said, um, I said, you know, Lara didn't really, you know, she opted out of buying me this squeaky from postcard uh, for Christmas. This last Christmas, I found online they were selling this uh, postcard that was signed by squeaky from of the Manson family. That's creepy. And I'm like, baby, it's only $75. And she's like, I'm not getting you a squeaky from postcard for Jesus' yeah, birthday. I wouldn't want that in my house. Well, it's not so much that. I think she felt it was inappropriate for the season. Maybe for my birthday, she'll get that for mm. me. Um, but I think for when the... When is your uh, birthday, Rick Emerson? Not important. It's this weekend. Thanks so much. Thanks. I appreciate that. No problem. Um, but I think for the birth of our Savior, she felt that maybe... Uh, Celebrating it by purchasing me something with Squeaky Fromm's name on it wasn't really appropriate. So this is the birthday that you're closer to 40 than you are 30, right? Yes. Okay, just checking. Thanks. No problem. Moving on, I said that al although Lara didn't want to buy me a Squeaky Fromm thing, that we do have a piece of Sharon Tate's fireplace hanging in our home office. So, you know, I got that going for me. So, the But then Don said the greatest thing. I excerpted this out, and I just left it open in a Word document on my desk because it made me smile. Don said... You know, Jeffrey Dahmer's lawyer announced at one point he was going to open Dahmer's apartment to a rummage sale and sell off his stuff with the proceeds going to the families of his victims. And then she uses this sentence that sounds for all the world like it is the opening to a like noir detective novel starring Don Taylor in Portland. She says, I was frantically scraping together plane fare to Milwaukee. When public outrage put the kibosh on the sale. Uh, but it said, I was ready to do anything I could to get something, anything from his kitchen. Owning a piece of Dahmer's Tupperware is like the Holy Grail, she says. Yes, it is, Don. There you go. I just love that phrase. I was frantically scraping together plain fare to Milwaukee. That's genius. Also, I want to form a band called Dahmer's Tupperware. So, there you go. Don Taylor will be here later on. Uh, this email says, Rick, I have a question for you and Sarah about seeing a shrink. I think you both go. Does it help? I have my first appointment Monday. 
I am going through a rough time. Your show makes life better. Thank you, Chris, longtime fan. It totally helps. I vote yes. I don't know. I mean, maybe it doesn't work for everybody. It worked for me. I would say as long as you're going because you're going because you want to go, not because like somebody's making you go. And so. it's nice to have somebody else's opinion that doesn't know anything about you. Exactly. Like, and you can just sit there and talk about yourself for like an hour. See, and I know people who don't want to go to a shrink or a therapist because they just for that reason, they which is totally backward. They'll say, they'll say, well, the, the shrink doesn't really care about you. They're only listening because you're paying them, which is exactly, that's exactly the point. Mm-hmm. It's like when you go to like a, like a regular, like a physical doctor. Like I don't want a doctor who's going to lie to me and tell me the tumor is better than it is. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to pay the doctor and he's going to give me, like when you say, give it to me straight, doctor. I want the doctor to give me the, the God's honest truth. If mm-hmm. the tumor is going to kill me in a day and a half, I want to know now. Don't lie to me about that. A doctor to tell me the truth. Same thing with a head doctor. No, so, they don't sugarcoat it either. Like you, you have a problem. And you think that it might be something else, but it could be based on something, you know, that you didn't realize that it was. It really exactly. helps you think, think outside the box. Exactly. So you, that's the thing about having a shrink is presumably uh, they will give you exactly the situation as they see it without any candy coating, sugar coating. They're not going to, you know, they're not going to soft pedal it. So, but and also, like a lot of, um, and there are a lot of places in Portland, even if you don't have insurance. Uh, I have a couple of friends who see shrinks um, that don't have insurance, but there are places who will do it for like like 15, 20 bucks a session because yep. they know that you know it's such a time of crisis. So you can look online and find like like free therapy in Portland. Well, and if you go bonkers, they're gonna the state's gonna have to pay for you later anyway. Yeah, I mean that's and they do, a lot of them do like sliding scales and stuff. So exactly based on your income yeah. and how you are. Yeah. So if you just have a full on meltdown, the state's gonna end up paying like nine times that amount. So I would say as long as you're going because you think it's a good idea and not because somebody is pressuring you into it, that's the most important thing. If you're if you go to a shrink because somebody else is telling you like if you don't go to a shrink, I'll leave you. Well. Maybe you ought to go. Maybe you shouldn't, but you should go because you want to. That's the that's the thing. So, good luck to you, sir. Uh, well, let's get these calls, then I'll open my magic shit. And then when am I watching this uh, video rodeo? Well, I don't have it yet. I gotta find a. I gotta find. Uh, I gotta find a video of this thing. Uh, hello, hi. You're on the Rick Emerson program. Hello, Rick. How are you doing? What's up, sir? Okay, for a mathematical purist, actually three three oh nine wouldn't be square root day. It would be September third, two thousand three. Wait, I don't understand. Oh, 933, not 339. to nothing, but I had to put that bit in because okay. I love being part of the best show in Portland. All right. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. There you go. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. Happy birthday to us. Okay, then. What? Is it your birthday, too? Yeah. Oh, excellent. Happy today? birthday, sir. All right. And I've got a you-know-who-you-are. Okay. Uh, wait. Where's hold on. Hold on. I wasn't prepared for is this. Is it a good one? Give me one it second. It is pretty good. Hold on. Uh, let's see. And this is uh, clean for air, of course. Yes, it is safe for the air. All right, hold on. Let me, where's my, I wasn't, this is an ad hoc. All right, ladies and gentlemen, what is your name, sir? Brian. All right, Brian. This is Brian's ad hoc. Uh, you know who you are. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, um, first, Sarah, do you own a pair of Uggs? No. No, okay, good. I didn't want to offend you in any way. <laughs> um, ladies and gentlemen of the greater Portland area, Uggs are for women. If you are a man wearing Uggs in public, you look like a tool. And parents who allow their children to go to elementary school, boy children to go to elementary school wearing Uggs, put a sign on their back that says, beat my ass now. It is not appropriate whether you're in Portland or San Francisco or Aspen, Colorado. It looks freaking terrible. That's all I got. All right, excellent. Thank you, sir. Well done. Can I echo your sentiment and um, add Crocs onto that as well? Oh, God. No one anywhere. Those nasty prison-looking plastic shoes. Yeah, no one anywhere uh, should wear those. All right, do you feel better having gotten that off your chest, sir? I do very much. Are you thinking about a specific person? Excuse me? Are you thinking about a specific person? 
Actually, three specific people. There was a guy wearing gray sweatpants and Uggs oh. at the Costco in Wilsonville that it looked like he woke up and put on his white trash girlfriend's clothes. Here's the thing about Uggs. Even when women wear them, is I, I sometimes suspect that Uggs are one of those things designed as like a gag somewhere to see, like as a bet to see if they can make people wear them. You know what I mean? They only look good if you're like a really uppity chick walking from one Aspen boutique to another Aspen boutique. Exactly. Anywhere other than that. You look like a douchebag. Yeah, if you're at Sundance, you can wear them. Otherwise, you just look like a tool. I'm with you. <laughs> exactly. All right. Thank you, my friend. Bye. Have a good weekend. Uh, hello. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. What's up? Hi, Rick. Hi, Sarah. Hello. How are you guys doing today? Dandy. Good. Hey, I, I don't know if you heard this report, but it was during the Jeffrey Dahmer trial, and they had him up on the stand, and they were asking him questions about his methodology, and, and he said, you know, now... Uh, yeah, well, what'd you do with the heads? He goes, well, I put them in the fridge in a jar or something like that until I, you know, I wanted to boil all the skin off of them. And the prosecutor said, you know, uh, how long does it take to boil the skin off of a skull? And Jeffrey Dahmer thought about it. He goes, you know, just so matter-of-factly, he goes, oh, you know, about 45 minutes. I thought maybe it was going to be like a riddle and you were going to answer with something, you know, like a pun or something. But 45 minutes really is the answer. Yes, 45 minutes is the answer, but, you know, what the funny aspect of it was that Jeffrey Dahmer was just so nonchalant about it. You know, it's ironic, I guess. Well, ironic. it seems like he'd, it seems like he'd probably done it enough that, you know, I mean, I guess if you're, you know, if you're going to do that job, you, you know, it's worth doing it correctly. Practice makes perfect. <laughs> yes, it does. I, yes, it does. Know, I love this show. I'm a salesman. I get to drive around most of the day. I get to watch. I get to listen to this show pretty much every day. I love it. You guys are hilarious. Thanks for being there. Excellent. Thank you, my friend. Your right. radio in the truest sense. Well, thank you. Talk to you later. All right. There you go. Thanks so much. I was all with a compliment, and then he, I wasn't quite sure how to respond to that one. Well, yes, we are. I'll just take it. Yes, that is thank us. You. All right. Uh, hello. Hi. You're on the Rick Emerson uh, program. Hello. Would that be me? Yes, it is. Hello, sir. Yeah, uh, Jeremiah. Hello, hi. Yes, how can I help you, sir? Yeah, hi. Uh, my name is actually Jeremiah Johnson, um, and uh, I like your name. Uh, it has Emerson, and I'm Jeremiah Emerson Johnson. I just wanted to tell you, you have your last name in the wrong place. Thank you for pointing that out, sir. Uh, has this been bothering you for some time? Uh, very, very little. Um, so you, it's just recently become a concern. No, it's it's actually a very very little concern. I just have fun with it. Yes, but I mean, when did it first occur to you that you might want to point it out to me? Oh, uh, when I heard you on the radio. But I mean, when? Like, is this like ten minutes ago? A week ago? Oh, geez, maybe maybe a week ago. All right, and you heard my name, and you said, "By God, his name is all uh, it's all askew." <laughs> no. Not in particular. It's just I'm on disability, and I got nothing better to do with my time. Well, I'm glad to be the. Uh, I'm glad that I can be the focus uh, for your. Uh, you know, for your free your free time and for your energy, sir. Everybody needs something to do. Well, there you go. You know, I mean, I have five college degrees, and uh, I think uh, you know, listening to your program is enough of a challenge for me. <laughs> well, you and many other people, sir. All right, thank you. Thanks. Have a good weekend. All right. I think to the jumble or something. <laughs> Do one more and we'll, Jesus, we'll take a break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, guys. How's it going? Oh, you know, Hello. apparently we're, uh, apparently when that guy's not busy doing anagrams, we're enough to take his mind off things. So, you know, you can't ask for more than that. How can I help you? Uh, it's uh, Ben with the Hot Mom. I was uh, calling in about Watchmen. 
Yeah. Did you oh, see it? I, I thought you said this was to Ben with the hot mom, and I was going to say, hey, Ben, some guy's calling in about your mom. Um, all right. No, it is, in fact, this is a listener, Ben, that we met at the uh, Oscar uh, ceremony a couple weekends ago. All right, about Watchmen, yes. Uh, yeah, I, I I dug it, you know. the uh, it. I mean, yeah, the, the graphic novel is good. It's fantastic. Uh, I guess unfilmable, but for what they did, I was I was impressed. I you know I, it was one of those things you come out like really movie high, you know, right. you're just like wow. Well, I got to say this. I mean, however however successful or unsuccessful it was or wasn't or whatever, you got to at least give it up for the fact that they finally just got it done. I mean, that's the mm-hmm. thing. And I know that sounds like I'm damning with faint praise or whatever, praising with faint damnation, but it just it's I here's the closest analogy that I could come up with. And I've been thinking about this. I was saying for the longest time it was like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas because they said the same thing about Fear and Loathing. They said it couldn't be filmed. And then, uh, what's his name, Terry Gilliam did it. And it was, you know, successful in some ways, not in others. And, and you know, but I was like, well, at least, look, at least they gave it the old college try. Here's the uh, the analogy that I would make for Watchmen. Watchmen the graphic novel into Watchmen the movie, the closest comparison I can come up with is when they finally got the film version made of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, if you read that, is just... I mean, it's an insanely great uh, novel. It's just fantastic. It's one of the best sci-fi, one of the best comedy novels ever written. And they tried for like 25 years or something to make that into a movie, and they finally got it done a handful of years ago with some things, and it worked, and some things didn't, it just absolutely didn't work. And there were long sections of Hitchhikers, the movie, that were just passages of the book that were basically just word-for-word word recreated on the screen, which I guess kind of works. Um, but at the end of it, I was there with uh, my wife, Lara, and with Aaron Duran and his wife, Jen. And Jen is a huge Douglas Adams fan. And when the movie finally wrapped, when Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was done, and at the end it says, you know, for Douglas, and they rolled the credits, Jen actually just said, she just said really simply, she said, well, she said, um, what was the actual phrase she used? Um, she said something like, you know, well, they finally got it made for him or something like that, which is like, you know, at least they got it done so we can all check it off the list of things we need to see before we die. Yeah, I uh, I read the book, but I never saw the movie. Yeah, it's the Hitchhiker's the Guide to the Galaxy of the Movie is similar to Watchmen, and it's fragmented. There are certain scenes that really work and certain scenes that – there are certain things that just will always work better in your imagination than they will on the screen. That's just the nature of the nature of print, even in a comic book, uh, because it's one panel and it's still, you know, and whatever, and it's just static images. But, um, you know, I, I'd say that there are things about it I really like, and I am definitely looking forward to seeing a long uh, director's cut of Watchmen where they could include all kinds. Of, because that guy that called yesterday that was at the focus screening for it said that even at the focus group it was like 35 minutes longer. So I would be curious to know what all got cut out, and I'm, I, I look forward to seeing the full version of it. Well, I believe the uh, death of Hollis Mason was something they cut out of it. Yeah, though that's there's that, and I know that they're going to make a full separate DVD of all the Black Freighter stuff, and then you know, so it remains to be seen exactly what's going to come out. But I, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing the full version of it at some point. But I, it, you know, it is it is an accomplishment that it even got made. So we can all give it up to, give it up to him for that. Definitely. All right. Thank you, sir. All right, take care, guys. There you go. I can't wait to see it again. I I really did like it. I think I'm going to take some time before I see it again. I want to sort of take some time, and I'm not going to read the book again, but I'm going to take the time, and I'm going to just sort of let it it rest for a bit in my brain, and then I'll I'll see it a second time, and maybe I'll feel, I don't know, maybe I'll feel differently about it. The one thing I have to say about Watchmen, which I guess we'll talk more about it today and then Monday because it's uh, it's opening this weekend, is, um, and a lot of people have already seen it, it opened last night at midnight. I will say that the Dr. Manhattan thing, and I think Bobby touched on this in his review of Fatboy, 
I think it was a mistake to make that character totally CGI. Mm-hmm. I think it. The mouth looked really weird. It did, like it. it I like think weird teeth and it looked so fake. I I think they would have been better served if they had done like a CGI over a real person, which mm-hmm. I don't think they did. I think they did total CGI, and I th- I don't think that I don't think that served them. Kind of reminded me of Angelina Jolie and Beowulf. Yeah, which I didn't see, but I heard that it was the same thing. I heard it was like your eye just can tell that it's not real. It doesn't work. What's that? What's that uh, phrase that Aaron calls it? Uncanny Valley. Yes. Which is where the your the the fact that your subconscious can detect when something is a manufactured image, even if you can't put your finger on why. I mean, obviously he's blue and glowing and whatever, but beyond that, you can tell it's not just a guy with some special effects on him. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello there. Oh, hi. One uh, statement, one observation. Yes, sir. Um, uh, Scott McCloud in Understanding Comics, you were talking about the panels and how it's never best in your imagination. He says the blood's in the gutter. The spaces in between the panels from static image to static image is where all the action goes on because you're supplying it. Just right, like radio. right. Yeah. And um, the other comment was uh, Jeffrey Dahmer says, use Milwaukee Sawzall for those man-sized jobs. I'm sorry, say that one more time. Jeffrey Dahmer says, use Milwaukee Sawzall for those man-sized jobs. All right. Thank you. Bye. All right. There you go. Sawzall. All right. On that note, let's take a break. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. It is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Coming up later on, Don Taylor from Film.com, Aaron Duran from GeekInTheCity.com, Dorothy Carcassari from the National Enquirer, Steve Kastam, I'm actually here in just a few minutes, uh, and Jim Roop as well. Don't go anywhere. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Stay right there. Mars needs women. We interrupt this record to bring you a special bulletin. The reports of a flying saucer hovering over the city have been confirmed. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Todd the Corpse says, I have a confession. I have a pair of Crocs I no. wear every day. They're not just Crocs. They're a pair of Crocs that are slippers. So they have the hideous look of regular Crocs, but have a fluffy wool lining inside. I hate them. My wife bought them for me. Yet I wear them every single day when I go outside to smoke or get the mail or do whatever because I don't have to worry about them getting wet or dirty. I loathe myself whenever I wear them, he continues. <laughs> And I also have to admit that I've worn them to the <laughs> worn them to the store because they're easy to slip on. I don't wear shoes for most of the day, so that means I'm too lazy to put on my normal shoes and tie them. I think that means I've given up. I am so ashamed. He says, I think I have just done a meta you-know-who-you-are, but it was about myself. I'm going to go cry now, Todd. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from New York City, CNN Radio Correspondent Steve Kastenbaum. Hello, sir. How are you today? That's a classic. It, I like uh, that. it really well. You know, look, I mean, at least he has he has a sense of self. It's important to know who one is. You know who who one is. Yeah, were Crocs the shoes that nurses and and people in emergency rooms and hospitals used to uh, wear? No, no, no. You're thinking of clogs. So it's it's different, right? They do look similar, but I, I remember like you know nurses and and those folks in the hospital used to wear a certain kind of looking shoe. Partly because it was comfortable, but also because, you know, they didn't want to drag germs around, and I think they were easily cleaned. They look kind of like, they look like gardening shoes. Yeah. Like, they have holes in them. Like, they look like they're made out of that jelly bracelet stuff that girls used to wear, but they have holes in them. They're like Swiss cheese, but, like, made out of plastic. 
I'm familiar with them. I, was, I just wasn't sure if that's what they, well, they originated. Clogs. Yeah. Crocs are basically, to my understanding, Crocs are a rubberized version of a clog, which is a regular shoe that is shaped the same way, but is made out of, like, you know, shoe material. Ah, okay. uh, like there's that store here in Hawthorne called Clogs and More, and Clogs and More is just that. It's a shoe store that specializes in clogs, and that's and clogs are what nurses or anybody who spends a lot of time on their feet typically wear because they have great support, they're comfortable, and they're you know they're good for your feet and whatever. Um, so I think Crocs are like a low budget, low rent, embarrassing version of clogs. That would be my guess. Yeah, you know, my uh, brother and sister-in-law bought a pair for my three-year-old nephew. <sighs> Starting him young. Yeah, no, that's no good. You uh, you should do something to intercede there. Yeah, although I mean, he seems to you know be be enjoying running around in them, so I don't want to I don't want to ruin things for the kid. You yeah, know? but I'm sure you might enjoy running around without any pants on. But I mean, you don't want to you know, <laughs> he might enjoy running around with a zip gun or something. You don't want to you don't want to encourage that young though, Steve. Come on, you got to step in. You got to do your part as a man. Good point. All right. Um. Hey. So uh, I, there's. Every day I try to find a new way to plunge into the awful news, and every day I fail. And so I say, hey, how about that stock market? Hey, how about that? Wait, let me let me look at this here. The dismal jobs report for February. Hey, how about that? Everything constantly getting worse. How about that endless procession of doom? How about, I mean, you feel free to cut in any time here. Rick, I don't know where to go with this anymore. It's It's really, you know, I mean, we know it's going to get worse. Yet every time we have a new milestone to talk about, it just feels horrible. Uh, the unemployment report came out for the month of February. Unemployment rate now at 8.1%. The country lost 651,000 jobs in February. There are now 12.5 million people unemployed. We haven't seen uh, that many folks out of work at the same time since 1983. Now, when you say that we haven't seen that many folks, is that in terms of the, the pure number or in terms of the percentage? Because the population has increased since then. Yeah, uh, exactly. Right. So we haven't seen that number since 1980. All right. But, I mean, in terms of percentage, you know, it's like they always do that thing where they take Gone with the Wind versus Titanic or whatever, and they adjust it for inflation because tickets used to be 10 cents or something. In terms of percentage of... In terms of percentage of eligible workforce who are not working, where, where do you? I mean, I wonder where we are in terms of that, you know, looking back at the last century and a half or whatever. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to find those numbers now, and uh, I don't have it in this right through in front of me. I mean, it can't be good, clearly. It's just what degree of bad is it? Yeah, it's – I mean, here's the thing. The, 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 you know, we get this bad report. Everybody knew it was coming. So the, the stock market uh, initially really didn't react, and it kind of was positive for a little while this morning. And it's Friday, and stocks are at, like, all-time lows right now, literally. So many of them are. So on a Friday, when, when stocks are that low, we – Typical patterns would show us that there would be a buying spree towards the end of the day. Well, here we are, uh, about 50 minutes left to go in the trading day, and the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 100 points. So there's still this uh, total lack of confidence among investors. And and I asked some specialists, uh, some people who really know about this stuff, who cover it every day here at CNN, What's going on? You know, if I'm a fund manager, if I'm getting all of that 401k money every other week deposited into my account and, and, and at my ready to use, why am I as a fund manager not taking that money and, and investing it into these stocks now so at least I'm getting more shares? And I'm told that there, these, a lot of these fund managers are just sitting on the money rather than investing it because they don't want to lose any more than, than they've already lost. Because it brings down their their uh, rating, their reputation right. more. So they're they're waiting 
for a reasonable expectation of, of a profit, uh, a turnaround in, in the short term, just so they you know can show that they've made some improvements. That, Which I guess I would feel better about if I had any uh, confidence that they knew when that was going to be, like if they knew when the particular bottom was going to be reached. But it seems like that's just that's just absolute guesswork at this point. We have a great article on on CNN.com, uh, CNNMoney.com about the, you just can't predict the bottom anymore. So and 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 it's pointless to try to predict it because. Uh, the the stock market obviously is, is one component of the economy, not the end all be all. And there are other signs. There are some signs. I have some good news for you, Rick. Uh, there are some signs that change is coming. Mm-hmm. Consumer credit rose by 1.76 billion dollars in January after three months of decline. No, what, here, does what does that mean? I was just going to say, what does that mean? It means that. Uh, the lending institutions are starting to make credit available again to you and I and, and consumers out there. See, here's why that doesn't make me feel any better, though, because all that means, because let's just you and I, let's speak together as men here. Americans right. are largely stupid. I mean, most people are just not that sure. bright. And most people are especially not that bright when it comes to money, and they're just flat out dense and irresponsible a lot of the time. So the right. fact that they just raised everybody's credit limit or, you know, that they extended uh, additional credit to, to some folks to this degree... All that means is there's a whole lot of people now who can go out and get themselves and hock up to their eyeballs again. Money that they will almost assuredly not be able to pay back, thus increasing and, I would say, accelerating the particular death spiral we seem to be in here. And and, uh, on that topic, uh, consumer spending is up again. Of course it is. Of course. I'm sure consumer savings is way up, too. I'm sure sure the amount of money consumers are putting away wisely for the future, uh, I'm sure that's just through the roof. It actually is up 5%. Americans are saving a lot more now, which is what they need to be doing in this economy. So that's a good thing because it puts uh, hard cash into these banks, and that's the money that they use to lend each other overnight. So if they have more capital in their accounts at the end of the the trading day, uh, they're in much better shape. It's not just about helping uh, themselves, uh, you know, Americans helping themselves by saving. It actually helps the financial system if they've got more money in their bank accounts. Uh, So that's a good thing. On a totally... I'm sorry, I was going to say, you know, you're right about Americans being stupid, though. Uh, (laughs) Yes, I am, Steve. You know, if I'm right about one thing in this life, it's that. That is really something I know with absolute certainty. You know know why I say that? I don't know why this thought just entered my mind when you said that, but... um, where did you go to school when you were a kid in, like, elementary or junior high? What do, what do you mean? Well, uh, what part of the country were you in? I was in, uh, I was in uh, southeast Washington. So when uh, you were in southeast Washington, when you were a kid, was there an influx of, of, of immigrants uh, at all at that point? Because where I grew up in Brooklyn, in elementary school, junior high, and high school, um, there was a huge surge in uh, the Russian population here in New York, and it was then that I realized how stupid we really are because these kids would come in from their school system and they were so much smarter than us in math, in science, in foreign languages, and they excelled so much in school. And I think, here's my theory, I think all those people I went to school with when I was younger are now the guys working on Wall Street. All those dumb American kids. Yeah. That's why we got into trouble. Well, because my whole generation, like me and all my friends, we were just doing two things. We were sitting around memorizing Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark quotes, and we were waiting for robots to be built that would service our every need and conduct all of our affairs for us. We didn't actually have to learn anything. So only part of that equation came true. Yeah, and I really see that's the case because they would come to our school 
And they would tell us how easy it was. That it was too yeah. easy, and they would excel, and they would skip grades, and we'd be, like, struggling. <laughs> Meanwhile, know? I'm still trying to figure out how to carry the one in eighth grade. Yes. Right. Yeah, sine, cosine, what's that? Hey, uh, just on a totally unrelated note, before we wrap this up here, um, have you ever used uh, the product Magic Shave, Steve Kastenbaum? No, but you know what? I really like trying out all the different uh, men's uh, personal care products for shaving. So what is that? I've been lamenting for some time the fact that I have to shave my face at all because it seems barbaric and it's a big waste of time. I mean, it's just, it's just, and you, I mean, you know what I'm talking about where it's like, as I often say, the women, obviously women have more to shave, but they can also like, you know, whatever you do, wear long pants or something. If you, you know, if you oversleep, a guy, you know, you shave, you got to shave your face, especially if you work in an office somewhere, you got to leave the house. And it's always, you hate it the most, of course, on those days when you're running behind by any amount of time. And you're looking at your watch and you're looking at, uh, you know, outside and, you you know, like your carpool, uh, you know, is arriving. Or you're thinking about the traffic. you got to get to work and file that report for that guy that won't, you, leave, you know, won't leave you alone. And you're looking at the, the face and you're going, can I skip a day? I can't skip it today. I'm going to look like I'm homeless and sleeping it off in the gutter. God damn it. I guess I'll shave. Fine. Where's the shaving lotion? Honey, where's the razor? What do you mean you used it on your feet? And then, you know, why do you have to shave your feet? What's that about? Well, did you at least wash it out? No. Oh, now it's all solidified. Well, I guess I'll just eject the head off of this and get a new one. Oh, we're out. Well, I guess I'll go to the store. What do you mean it's $45 for three different shaving cartridges? What is that about? What do you mean three blades? Why do I need three blades? I need one blade, one face, one blade. That should be the rule. Fine. Ah, crap, I'll skip it. And then you go to work, and people look at you, <clears throat> you know, like you just came in from Smitty's Tavern down the street. So, that being said, I am always on the lookout for a product that will make my shaving a lot easier. Pardon me. For that it will make you know just it will kind of remedy this problem for me. So our friend uh, Keelan, who was a long time, uh, long time sort of uh, extended family member of the show, oop, sent me, sent me uh, this product, Magic Shave, and Magic Shave, as I understand it, is designed for today's fashionable black man, and you know, and I'm I'm sort of a fashionable black man on the yes. inside. Yes, you're so much. So. Um, in fact, it says here on the front, formulated exclusively for black men. So this will be an interesting experiment. Um, so I'm going to begin uh, using this probably later on in the program. So I don't know if you had any experience with this, Steve. Mm-hmm. Being, being a fashionable black man as you are. So wait a minute. So it, is it like a sort of thing, a, a depilatory, where, where you don't have to actually shave? It's a depilatory, it yeah. Yes, it is apparently like Nair, except it's Nair. It's a razorless beard remover. And you know what Ooh. it is? You know what it says, and I actually, and here's the other thing. I have this bottle of Nair right here that Sarah brought in. Back for me. <laughs> well, because I've been joking about Nair, and there's like a variations on it or whatever. And so Sarah says, like, I'll, she's like, I'll bring in some Nair, and you can try it. Except it actually says in huge letters, like, don't use anywhere above the neck. Not for use on face. And right. it actually shows, I think, like a burning sensation as it goes on to your face. So I don't believe I'm supposed to use this. You can't use that on your face, but I've heard of these other products, like the one you just got. Uh, and, and I've never tried them, but... If I could get rid of the facial hair without destroying my skin by peeling off layers of it with a razor every yes. day, that would be fantastic. Yes, apparently uh, uh, this uh, moisturizes the skin for close, smooth beard removal. So I'll let you know how it works. Yeah, I, I actually, you want to laugh, I know a guy who's, um, who's from Tanzania, right? Mm-hmm. And this is, this is where, what he specializes in, finding these products that are marketed towards uh, Africans because the African man has uh, a much more hard, uh, much more difficult time with shaving and ingrown hairs because the hairs are they have different follicular needs. Sir. Exactly. Yes. And that's his deal. He uh, he imports all these products like that. Excellent. Well, I'll uh, and and see. And here's the other thing. Because I'm because I'm lame, I have no idea whether this is necessary or not. But uh, our friend Keelan has actually included yes, a spatula uh, along with this. <laughs> and here's the thing. 
because uh, because I'm just a nitwit and have no idea uh, what's true and what's not, he actually said, now what you want to do is you want to put this product on your face and you want to let it solidify until uh, it gets to a point of sort of congealed consistency. Then you want to scrape it off with a spatula. And the thing is, I think the second part is like he's just screwing with me, but I'm not entirely sure. Like, who, who am I to say? I mean, you know, really. So I... So I think I'm going to have no choice but to actually be spatulating my face uh, later after using said product, and then we'll see how it works out. Rick, Rick, you have to document this with video and put it on the web as you do it. That is the key to rating, sir, is doing wacky things in front of a camera in your studio. Mm-hmm. All right. Absolutely. Well, I'll give you the blow-by-blow on how it works out. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing of the uh, results. All right. Well, if on Monday it just sounds like I'm speaking through a muffled sort of watery hole in the front of my face, you'll know that it went poorly. You might lose all sensation in one side of your face. <laughs> and I can host a, a New Year's Eve program. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Thank you, sir. Take care. All right, there you go. Steve Kastenbaum, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, Don Taylor from Film.com. Hello. How are you today? Oh, we have Don's theme. I'm sorry. We keep... Oh, we do. I'm sorry. Let's and now the it. touching rendition of Don's theme. I love Don's theme. Just to get people in the mood for me. That's better than the rendition of the touching Don theme. <laughs> yeah. I don't get it. But slammed. I'm sorry, Sarah. I'm, I think he was being naughty. I'm trying to turn oh. trying to turn Cume to core, Sarah. I would appreciate if you did not undermine my efforts. Good luck with that. Yes. Uh. Yes, I indeed. I the burning and the hair removal comes. <laughs> I'm so excited. All right, then. Uh, oh, wait. Here's somebody calling about magic shave. Well, let me get this. Um, no, how, I don't want anyone to call and warn you. I want you to do it. <laughs> I didn't warn me. What are they going to warn me about? It might not work out so well. I think it was Keelan who actually said, like, now, look, there's going to be some burning and sizzling. Yeah, don't, work about, don't worry about the smoke and the smell. You know, uh, you know the thing is... That's just natural. Like, it would totally be worth it, though. So the thing is, I almost wouldn't care. Uh, it's just... And, and I hate to keep, like, beating this drum, but I know the guys... Look, this is relatable, uh, because every guy, and not a few women have to shave whether they like it or not every day. And you just, you know, it's just a huge pain. And here's the other thing, if I can just vent about this for one moment, and then we'll break and we'll come back and we'll reset, as they say, with some of these calls. Don will have news for us. I have, yes, a spatula. Um, the thing about it is, it used to be that you could just buy an electric razor that was of some quality, and then you, you use that, bam, set for life. And I went through a couple electric razors when I was uh, younger, and uh, you know, and I thought they didn't work. And what I didn't realize at the time, what I, I feel foolish because I never really read the instructions. What I realize now is, when you get an electric razor, it takes about three weeks for your skin to acclimate to it. I guess it has something to do with the way the angle at which the blade comes down, because the like the blade is sort of pushing the hair over, and then it catches it and it cuts it or whatever. Whereas the razor is sort of a top, you know, like a straight down kind of a cut. Anyway, so I guess it takes about two or three weeks for the hair to sort of adjust to the, to the electric razor, which is why I never thought it was working. Um, anyway, but, but since then and now, they've made this, um, this cunning advance in electric razors. And by cunning advance, I mean they're now like horking you uh, for like 30 bucks every couple months because it is now impossible to buy an electric razor that does not also have some component that needs to be replaced. Because you, you, you know, give you the razor, sell you the blades, blah blah blah. Well, now it's like give you the electric shaver, and then you like, then they sell you like this thing that goes on the, the shaving heads that you got to replace. Like our friend Jeff Klein, Klein sent me this uh, thing. He's like, I wholeheartedly recommend the following electric razor, and it was a link to the razor on Amazon.com. It's like here, it's like 85 bucks. Buy it once, you're good. And I looked, not so much the case, because you buy it, and then there's like these these little attachments that go on the head that I think are necessary for the shaving. Last like 30 days, you got to buy a new one. So. And I emailed him back and I said, about this razor, friend, how often do I have to replace these like little head things on there? And no response. So I'm guessing that's pretty frequently. <laughs> I'm just saying. So if, I, if this works, 
I'm going to begin. Are you doing your arm? My concern is that uh, since this product is specifically for the follicular needs of of the uh, modern black man, uh, that perhaps, I don't know, it might somehow be too harsh for your soft white white man's skin. skin. For my my pasty white ass. (laughs) Uh, Well, that's almost certainly the case. Uh, so you won't have a beard, but you'll just have this big red beard-shaped rash. I'll be all Harvey Dent. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, just do it on one half of your face. Yeah. Well, somebody suggested using it on a separate part of my body first, like I my arm. I on your arm. Or was that you? By I somebody, just, I mean Sarah. I like ten seconds. Like 20 seconds ago. I'm sorry, I wasn't here. Um, somebody suggested. Who, who said that? Who was that again? Do not wash face before using. Done. Apply cream to beard area. Allow cream to remain on beard six to nine minutes. If cream dries, re-moisten by patting with wet fingertips. Gently remove with edge of a gently remove with edge of a spatula. God no, damn it! No, it doesn't. God is my witness on the back. I think what they mean is like one of those little plastic spatulas, like beauty supply stores sell for metal mixing things. They don't, I don't think they mean a they metal spatula. They like don't the specify what kind. Are you prepared to make that distinction? <laughs> Are you now speaking for I'm the black not. community? It could, it, they could mm-hmm. well mean a a, a gently removed turning metal spatula with edge of a spatula. Keelan knows what he's doing. If if it it probably requires a giant metal spatula. Do not scrape cream from beard area. Rinse face thoroughly. Do not wash with soap. You're you, not really attached to that shirt, then, are you? <laughs> why? If beard remains, wait 24 hours before next magic shave product. Effort. So here's my thing: is like why? Why can't you let this interact with soap? That's a thing that unnerves me a little bit, actually. Oh, Why can't it touch it. soap? Try- soap has harsh stuff in it, though. Ho- sure. Soap is made Not like the thing that burns off your hair. This isn't harsh at all. Remember our discussion about the stew maker? Oh. Soap is made with lye. Oh, uh, you don't want the lye and the magic shave to uh, interact. I suppose that's a fair point. Your, your face will melt, and you'll end up in a barrel in Tijuana. <laughs> I was going to say, underneath a pointy black hat in Oz. All right. <laughs> Well, we should take a break. We'll come back after this. Don Taylor will have news for us. We'll get the. We have somebody on hold here about Magic Shave. We'll do that. Coming up later on, Cena Radio correspondent Jim Roop. Uh, Aaron Duran will be here from geekinthecity.com as well. We'll talk Watchmen and so forth. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson radio program right here on AM 970, The Talker. Don't go anywhere. Emerson Radio Program. Keelan just emailed us at Magic Shave Instructions. I should be able to call shortly, but you do need the metal spatula because it's a hard edge, but not sharp. You'll also want to have a towel and warm water handy. Soap will make your skin burn because the skin will be a little bit sensitive. You can use soap, but only if you want yards of pain. Uh Signed, Excelsior. All right, thank you. <laughs> it's I, five, have, yes. I have some magic shave information here for you. Do you? Yes. Uh, now is this? Uh, oh, this is you found like a YouTube video. No, I've had a more uh, according to a blog. Uh, apparently, it is uh, distributed by so- Soft Sheen Carson. Yes. 
uh, which is uh, a leader in African-American beauty products manufactured by L'Oreal. Oh, well, the mark of quality. Ingredients in this product are linked to uh, developmental slash reproductive toxicity. Fantastic. Uh, allergies and immunotoxicity, cancer, and uh, endocrine disruption. No, 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 but does it work? <laughs> will I will I be able to skip regular shaving? And the cancer, who cares? I I mean, really does it? Well, did I tell you that my shampoo gives you cancer? It says like on the bottle, like on the my shampoo, this is, it can you know it's known to cause cancer. All the good stuff causes. It really does. Well, see, I don't believe that anything is effective unless it has side effects. Nothing has primary effects unless I mean, because when is the last time there was anything that really, really honestly worked and had nothing negative associated with it? nothing ever? If so. you can't give mice tumors by slathering it all over their bodies, that's what I'm then saying. What good is it? I mean, really, what do you want to live forever and just be 80 years old? I can't have any sugar or salt. I'm glad I'm alive. F that, you know. I'd I'd rather live and be hairless now. That didn't come out right, but you know what I mean. I um when I I went I went to the supermarket, <laughs> not hairless, but. Yeah, it's a relative, it's a relative sort of thing. Where are you planning to use this? I'm just okay. saying. I went to the uh, right here in the studio, Don. I went to uh, I went to the uh, the supermarket know, a few weeks ago because and Sarah Sarah was horrified when I told this, but I said I had some flaking in my sky. I had some dandruff that I was unhappy about because it was you know the dry weather and whatever. And so I had a little bit of dandruff and like you know what that. I mean it's not like it's gonna kill you, but you don't want to, you don't wish to. Sarah just did this weird thing where you buttoned your shirt all the way up like a like a Quaker. What is that about? I don't know, but I buttoned my thing in. As we were, and you buttoned your security card into it. Anyway, so I had a tiny bit of dandruff. I'm like, you know what? I'll, I'll go to the store. And I'm looking at all the different products. And, you know, it can be very overwhelming. I mean, I know it sounds like it is such a, such a quintessentially Western problem that I just, I don't know, there's too many consumer goods. I don't know what to purchase. There's so many dazzling logos and shiny packages. I don't know what to buy. And so I went right to this. And they really do know how to design packages to catch your eye because the package looked sort of menacing. Like the package kind of looked like it contained something dangerous, you know, like a product that might, you, know, you might lose an eye or something. And I, well, that, that seems good. And I took it out of the shelf and it had the Helvetica font, of course. And I uh, turn, I look at the back and it says there's a big, the other thing that I'm really attracted to uh, when you look at a package is some sort of like a pull quote in a magazine where it's like a box of text that has been put inside, you know, there's like a big border around the words. So you know that the government made them put it there. And anytime the government makes you put something on a package, I mean, we all distrust the government to some degree, but you know that there's some veracity in whatever that, that sentence is. And I looked and it says, this product contains chemicals known to the state of California to cause cancer. And I was like, sold. That is it. I am. And then I went home, I put it on and by God, my dandruff was gone almost immediately. You know why? It's a shampoo made, I kid you not, with coal tar. So there you go. My my mother was a dermatology nurse, and uh, the the best products for uh, eczema and uh, psoriasis and uh, and dandruff are products that have coal tar. That's what I'm saying. Plus, it makes it sound like I am shampooing my hair with some sort of an alien overlord from the Scientology religion. So, all right. I, for one, welcome my Coltarian overlord. Let's go to this, the news desk. And now, from the CBS Radio Center in downtown Portland, this is the news. Well, if you play rock band, this is exciting. Harmonix and Apple Corps have revealed that on September 9th, that's the Western release date for the Beatles' rock band. I, I find it difficult to be excited about that. Not because I... Snooty about rock band. I'm really not. Play it. Don't play it. I don't care. The Beatles on rock band just seems kind of uninteresting. I mean, I don't, I don't know who the market for that would be. Well, people with too much money, according to this, yes. because uh, 
It's uh, going. The game only will be sixty dollars. The guitar specific bundle. Which oh, that's the that's the uh, what's it the the Gretsch bass or whatever that thing is that he plays. Well, I don't know. The, yeah, that's a hundred dollars. And then there's a limited edition instrument bundle modeled after the instruments that Lennon, McCartney, Harrison, and Ringo Starr used that will cost $250. Yeah, it's good to see that uh, Yoko's sticking to that promise not to hoard John out for like every penny she can possibly kick from his corpse. I mean, that's like those, what was it, those like, Kurt Cobain shoes, shoes that they put out where it's like, but it's not just that they're Kurt Cobain Chuck Taylors, or I think they were Chuck Taylors, maybe Vans, but you know, they're, they're, they're sneakers, which I actually kind of like. I think that's kind of a cool thing. I mean, it, 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 I don't have any problem with that. And I really don't have any problem with mer- merchandising or marketing anyway. It's just, it's like if you're going to make a stand about something, at least you could do is pretend to follow through, pretend to, to care about whatever it is that you're saying. But if they made Kurt Cobain's uh, shoes, like the pattern, it's not like his face or a guitar or a signature. The pattern, I believe, is actually like entries from his journal. Because that's what you want your private most thoughts to be, is you want them to be the wraparound on some idiot teenager's feet. You know what I mean? It's, it's, you know, it's some kid at the mall who's like on his way to, you know, on his way, for, you know, to a date raping or something, and he's stopping to buy, you know, shoes that have your writings all over the outside. It's just odd. I, t- I can't help but think sometimes that there's this uh, this overestimation of how many hardcore Beatles fans there are because we love the Beatles. The Beatles, we I like to listen to the Beatles. I have a friend who has like every Beatles album. I can't imagine him spending two hundred and fifty dollars on Rock Band. Uh, a few months ago, I, sometime last year. Um, iPod came out with this special Beatles edition iPod that came with like every Beatles song on the iPod, which was bizarre because you can't get Beatles songs on, on iTunes. iTunes. Yeah. But if you spent something like $600 for this special gold Beatles iPod, you could get all of the Beatles songs on the iPod. And all I could think was, but if you're going to spend that kind of money, don't you already have all the Beatles songs? Well, that's my thing. Is like there's I'm Led Zeppelin and God don't get me wrong. God, I love Led Zeppelin. God, God bless them. They're a great band, and I'm a huge Zeppelin fan and all that. But it's the same thing with Zeppelin. I think I think it might have just changed recently. But I think for the longest time you couldn't get Zeppelin on iTunes. You know, you still can't get ACDC on iTunes, and or, or on any online music store. There's no online music retailer that'll sell you an ACDC song. You have to buy the physical media. And I think ACDC is actually setting up. This is actually kind of clever. They're setting up their own store where you basically have to go to acdc.com, and they'll sell it to you from there, but you can't buy it anywhere else. But it's like, again, your thing with the Beatles, they kept saying at one point that, like, the big crown jewel in the iTunes catalog is Led Zeppelin and the Beatles, as though it's not possible to turn on the radio and be hearing all of that crap playing right now over and over and over, like ad infinitum. They're just And McCartney's whole thing, I think it is McCartney that is the real stick in the mud about this, because he has that which I guess is admirable and sort of sad in some way. He has that whole thing that the albums are whole works, and he doesn't like the idea that you can just be going and buying buying them as singles, which I guess would carry a little more weight with me if they hadn't already packaged all of the Beatles songs in multiple collections already anyway, as like the number one collection and the anthology and the Yesterday and Today and with the blue record and the, or not Yesterday and Today, but the, the blue collection and the red collection and there's the, you know, whatever. So, I mean... I just, I'm always curious when, when there's this attitude that we can sell people who are fans of something, anything. Yes. And, again, in the case of a $600 iPod, if you're going to spend $600 for a special iPod because it has the Beatles on it, 
you already probably have all, if not most, of the Beatles catalog in your possession already. And really, so you're also... spending six hundred dollars for an iPod and to buy music you already own. And it should come with a. And like Paul McCartney ought to come to my house and give me some sort of a hot oil uh, massage for that <laughs> amount. Like I might be tempted to actually do it, but but as you said, there's especially with a band like Led Zeppelin where not making any more of that. I mean, I think even Page himself said that there's nothing else to release. Like they they put it except for like live tracks and stuff. There's, I mean, there's nothing more in the vaults. All the Zeppelin songs have been released. There's there's nothing really that you're waiting on at this point. So here's another thing. I was thinking about this the other day, that there was this time when I, I think for a lot of us, uh, we were talking to David Walker yesterday. We were talking a lot about music and how, how I, I went through this phase, not a phase, but I went through a period of my life anyway, where I would go to the store and I would buy stuff just based on the record cover. Like I'd look at the album cover and I'd be like, that looks righteous. I'm going to buy that. This in-. And about half the time the record was crap. But, you know, what are you going to do? It was all part of them. You know, it, it was like... It was like um, it was like a scratch-off ticket, but like a musical version of that. That's how I was introduced to uh, Elvis Costello, my really? favorite musician ever. I saw My Aim is True, and I went, what the hell is this? That looks pretty cool. That, I should own it. That, that's, his name is Elvis? Yeah. And he's dorky-looking, and he's standing funny. I'm going to buy this. <laughs> and, cool. uh, and and thus began a uh, love affair that continues to this day. Sarah, anything you bought just because of the cover? Um, I bought... Dark Side of the Moon, because I thought it was really cool looking, because I'd, I'd noticed, I'd seen it, but nobody had ever taught me about Pink Floyd. Right. I was at a record store and saw, you know, like the clear triangle with the rainbow, and I'm like, that's so neat looking, and it looks just epic, and I'd, uh, I'd, but I didn't, I'd never really heard of Pink Floyd, and I didn't really know who they were. I, I, have, a, I have a CD neat. by a band called The Ass Ponies, for that reason, where I just looked at it, and I said, I don't even care what their music sounds like. I, I'm, I'm buying them. Uh, it was like that it. with that glorious uh, debut CD from the Butt Cranks. Those guys were fantastic. I remember uh, on a totally different uh, on a totally different musical tip, I bought this record called Heartwork by uh, this Liverpudlian grindcore band. There's like this metal band called Carcass, and it was this H.R. Giger. Of course there is. It was. Yeah, it was this. It was this H.R. Giger uh, sculpture on the front made out of metal, and it was a huge chrome peace symbol. Then it sounds so retarded, and I suppose it is in the way that metal. I mean, don't get me wrong. I look. Uh, Rick Emerson is not a snob. Uh, I, I consider myself. There's no no form of music that I am above. There's kinds of music that I don't like, but I don't consider myself to be above any kind of music. There's just stuff I enjoy and stuff I don't. Uh, however, look, we're all rock fans. We can admit this. Rock is oftentimes just really unbelievably stupid, which is kind of what as Lester Banks would say. You know, the day it ceases to be dumb is the day it ceases to be real. Uh, but metal is really just unbelievably. Because he was a smurf. I'm just. It, it was like metal is off the charts silly sometimes. There's no getting around that. But it was a huge chrome peace symbol. I can't even believe how dumb this is going to sound when it comes. And then across the middle of it, also made I believe out of chrome, is like a huge. It's like a, it's like a human spinal column, and then like some skeleton hands like waving in front of it. <laughs> So is the peace sign the head? No, it's the, I don't know. I, it doesn't really matter, I suppose. But the point is, I looked at it and was like, that is awesome. <laughs> I'm going to buy that. And I took it home, and by God, it was awesome. It was it was like one of the best records I'd ever purchased. But I think I discovered, discovered the cramps in the same way. Yeah, it's because sort of, the logo and the yeah. font, and uh, it had that Tales from the Crypt thing going on. And so, you know, but I, I was a huge fan. It was really just, it was, they became one of my favorite bands for a long time. As a side note, by the way, it's just the cherry on the, on the Sunday with those guys is that they are from Liverpool. They're all vegans and that all their songs are about like, you know, about like cannibalism, you know, but like, of, but like, of, of, like, of, of like cadavers or whatever. So it's like all this horrific, but then you see them in concert and I did at La Luna. They came and they played La Luna 
and I went to see them, and they're all, they all look like they're from the Dark Crystal or something. They're all about four feet high, and they're just unbelievably pale with like this lank sort of albino hair, and they weigh about 80 pounds, and they, they would just like, they would just, they would give up a microphone, and the guy would, um, hello, Bacarcus, thank you for coming out to the Luna to see us. We have our merchandise on sale at the table. This next song is called Consuming a Skull. You know, and then they would just, and, and I was in the back going, this is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. But fast forward to now, I was talking to uh, Lara about this the other day, where she had this band, The Grand Archives, uh, playing. And I was, I'm, I'm a big fan of those guys. It's sort of this very sort of mellow, this kind of mellow, like late 60s Rolling Stones kind of band. And I said, that's great. You know, what is it? I said, I, I, I said do you have, you know, do you know, what that instrument is or something. I asked some question about that you would normally have found the answer to in the liner notes. And she said, she goes, oh, God, I don't even really know. How, where do you even look that up? Because she got it from an online music store. And she said, I don't even know. Where would you find that? And I said, well, I guess we'd have to look it up because there were no liner notes. There was no booklet. And then I realized over the last couple of years, I've purchased, I mean, and these are records I've actually paid for online. Some of my favorite, like that Gutter Twins record, which is one of the best things I've ever heard in my life. I have no idea what the cover art looks like. I couldn't, if you showed me that record in a lineup, I couldn't pick it out because I have totally transitioned to to the digital way of acquiring music for the for the most part. Uh, my friend uh, Cheryl just told me there's a uh, there's a two disc set that just came out called All the Pieces Matter, which is a compendium of music from all five seasons of The Wire. And I tried to buy legally and above board everything The Wire puts out because I want to support the show because it never really got all that all that much acclaim. And then I was all angry that I couldn't find it online, that I was actually have to go buy it somewhere. Like, I have to go to a store and actually own a physical cut. That's just stupid. And I became all, like, really sort of uh, incensed about it. But that's, I think, what Paul McCartney doesn't quite grasp, is that there has just been this paradigm shift. And the idea that you are going to force people into buying a collection of songs as one static item on a piece of plastic, that is just... Uh, that time has passed. That's just not going to be the case. And in a way, that's kind of a shame because there, you know, there was that whole thing of listening to something like uh, Queen's and Night of the Opera, and you you put the needle on the first song and you listen totally. to the first side all the way through, and then you had to go through the whole ritual of like turning the record yeah. over and starting the second side. And also, what do high school kids do these days if they're cleaning their cheap pot if they don't have big double record albums? Now, see, I was just talking to Chris Paddock about this the other day, and I was saying that I had this friend of mine. And it really was a friend. This is not like some backhanded way of referring to me, Rick Emerson. But I had a friend of mine, and the only thing he would ever uh, sort his pot on was Yes's Tales from Topographic Oceans. And if he couldn't find it, it's like, dude, where's my Yes album? i got to sort my... Like, never to listen to. Never to enjoy... Because it's Yes. Like, never... Like, not actually going to enjoy that. And he was like, i got to find it. i got to sort my weed. And I'd be like... You know, you live in a house full of flat objects. There's like a billion things. You got a, there's a breadboard, there's a coffee table, there's a ma- you've got books. You must own a book somewhere. But no, I've got to have the Yes record. And like he couldn't sort his pot until he found his Yes Tales from Topographic Oceans. Also, let me say this. Here's a fantastic moment uh, from my adolescence. Kids, don't do drugs. They're wrong and they'll ruin your life. And despite the fact that the Beatles really made, <laughs> despite the fact that the Beatles made all of their most glorious recordings while under the, influ- under the influence of drugs, and Michael Phelps won 14 gold medals and is a pothead, they will destroy you. They'll ruin your life, and nothing good will ever, ever, ever come of them. They are a gateway to making great music uh, to, to 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 other drugs. Actually, they're a terminus. They're a t- they're a terminus. So, I remember being about 15, 16, and again, I'm. Not advocating this kind of behavior. I'm just saying it's in its own freaks and geeks kind of way, just a glorious moment. 
There was this girl I knew in high school who was just, she was this goth chick that I had just the hugest crush on. And she did that thing of inviting me over to her house one night, and I was like, that's it, sex is on. You know, like totally thinking like this is, I am in like Flynn. That didn't happen, of course, because I'm me, and also because she had invited me over so she could ask me, do you think your friend Eric likes me? Would he, like, is he going to ask me out? And I was just like, ah, crap, I don't know. But while I was over at her house, her next-door neighbor, who was this uh, slightly older teenage boy with, like, one of those thin, like, mustaches, mustaches. just kind of like, like, he either worked in a porn store or had some dirt on his face that he couldn't quite get rid of. He had called and he's like, hey, Tannis, you want to come over and hang out? She's like, oh, I'm sure my friend Rick is here. Do you mind if he comes? No, he can come along. Is he cool? Yeah. I mean, I wasn't, but she sort of was fooled. And she's like, yeah, and it's all right. So we're in this suburban cul-de-sac, of course. I mean, it had everything but like, like Judd Apatow in the corner scribbling notes. So we go over to this guy's house, and he is just like the, the picture of the suburban teeno- teenage like dirtbag wasted guy. We're there. His parents are God knows where. The house is empty. And it's one of those weird split-level houses that every suburban cul-de-sac has. They're all on the same floor plan and blueprint. You know exactly. You walk in the front door, and on your right are the stairs that go down, and on your left are the stairs that go up. So we're in his bedroom. He's got, yes, a lava lamp going in the background. There is, in fact, a blacklight Jim Morrison poster. And I think, in fact, a blacklight poster of a tiger that was just kind of going, rah, uh, like at you. And he's playing, I don't know, I don't remember what the record that was playing in the background was, but at one point he's like, Tannis, you, you want to get, that was the girl's name, he's like, Tannis, you want to get high? And she's like, um, yeah, sure, okay. And of course I was all like freaked out then because I'm like, I don't know, this girl's fast. I just, I don't know. I, this may be, fast. this may be too much for me. I, he's blowing my mind already. I don't know that I can take this, but he's like, okay, hold on a second. And he goes and he brings out the second, uh, kiss record, which was hotter than hell. And apparently, same thing for him. It was like a ritual because he opened it up and you could see like all the like little bits of residue and the whatever. And this kiss record was the only thing he would ever use to sort his pot. And it was this thing where you look back and you realize like it was one of those demonstrable moments where you realized you are stepping through some sort of a doorway into a different era of your life. You know, you're like... This is one of those, like it wasn't that, it, like it wasn't the night where everything changed, but it is one of those mile markers that it indicates to you, you know, that look, not too long ago you were eating paste and, it, you know, you were, and you were watching Romper Room or whatever and thinking that she was talking to you because she said hello to Richard, uh, you know, and now you're like in some guy's room in the suburbs and he's sorting his pot on a kiss record and there's this hot goth girl next to you who might let you cop a feel later on. This is it, Rick. Things are happening. Your life has begun. And, you know, and so it's just, there's so much fetishism tied into vinyl that you just can't do now. And I don't mean to sound like a cranky old guy about it, but I mean, it's just, it's just a, you know, technology is technology. You can't stop it, but it's just different. This is a thing you'll never get back. And you said your thing about turning over the vinyl or the drop, you know, the, and you, and you know, everybody loves it because they put it on every other CD that comes out, the fake at the beginning. Uh, you know, do you have a record player? I do. Yeah, me too. A record I player, to records a lot, and big ass stacks of vinyl too. And I just have these these memories. It's like um, I remember a girl on my block. We weren't even good friends. I didn't even like her that much, but she had uh, this Alice Cooper album that my mother would not let me own. Which one? Uh, uh, uh the Billion Dollar Babies. Yeah. And um, I wanted this album so bad, and my mother would not let me own it because she'd heard that Alice Cooper was just, you know, evil and satanic. Of course. It was devil music. So I'd have to, like, go down to, to Julie Henderson's house and uh, listen to Billion Dollar Babies at Julie Henderson's house, which, like, then I had to kind of cultivate this 
sort of friendship with Julie right. Anderson. To get just to so the I, record. Just so I could listen to Billion Dollar Baby. Yeah. And, I mean, there was all of that stuff. Like, you you know, it, it, it's amazing to think that there was a thing. You're paying like 12 bucks for something that held, you know, nine songs, maybe. Um, but the there's that great moment in um, uh, the Royal Tenenbaums. When uh, what Gwyneth Paltrow and what's his name are sitting in there in the little house inside the house and they're talking and they're listening to the Between the Buttons album by the Rolling Stones and there's that great moment in the movie where the song ends and there's the dead air between you know there's the silence between songs and the con- conversation kind of stops and then the next song starts and they resume their conversation and that's I mean I know that kind of stuff happens with your iPod or with your CD or whatever but there is just certain there's a certain you know a certain warm vibrance vibrancy, vibrant, whatever, in that music that you just don't get anywhere else. Here's the other thing. That business they used to, that jazz of having, like, stack up the records with that weird arm thing that would come out and, like, drop the new record when it was, which you know must have been terrible for your record player and for the vinyl. Um, and that you would only sometimes know one side of the record really, really, really well because that was the one you would just have on repeat sometimes, like the first half of 2112 or something. So you do wonder also, my final thought about this, you do wonder if there is any equivalent to the mixtape or mix CD because you know, I guess you can make a playlist, but it does seem like if it doesn't have tangible physical form, that it doesn't have the same. There's no kinesthetic, you know, reaction to it. It doesn't seem like you can just put it on a jump drive or something. Here you go, is your thumb drive of songs for you, Susie. Have that fun with that. It, it seems like there is something missing because you can't you know with the, 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 it seems like there's a there's a, an element to that that cannot be reconjured or, or created it's a difference i think also between uh books and like reading stuff on the internet i yeah. mean you go to a bookstore you thumb through books you you can open them up you can touch them you can feel them there was something about going to the old vinyl record stores and thumbing through the bins and you'd pull out that album and it was a nice, big, solid thing, and flipping it over and, and reading what was on the back, rather than sitting there with your pulling out your CD insert and like you know what? taking and, out a microscope. And, and vinyl it. has a smell too. That's the other yeah. thing. There's that smell that old vinyl has. Also, speaking of billion dollar babies, here's another thing uh, that vinyl had, and this is not even again, it's like even CDs didn't have this. Vinyl had the cool thing where they could do the inserts, like the the bonuses when you buy it, like the billion dollar babies record. When you bought the vinyl, it was in fact a giant snakeskin wallet. And you could take out these huge billion-dollar bills that had Alice Cooper's face on them. And also, I do believe that the record actually came wrapped in a pair of big panties. I think that was the case. And then the Alice Cooper Schools Out record, if you bought Schools Out on vinyl, the, 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 the record sleeve actually turned into a school desk with, like, legs, and then you could lift up the top. Uh, and then you could take the record out of it. It actually folded up into a school desk, which is like you don't have to pay any more for that. That was just part of the thing, which uh, you kids today, and blah, 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 and you rock and roll. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. What's up? Hey, Rick, I got a couple things. Yes, sir. Uh, first off, Sarah, I feel your pain. Welcome to day 14, for me anyway. But um, Of what? being a woman? No, being sick as a doctor. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. I'm just finally starting to kick it. But That's yeah. why you may not recognize my voice. Anyway, um... Harvey Farstein, is that you? <laughs> yes. yes. How, how can we help you, sir? Oh, anyway, um, quick thought. Why don't they sell albums or uh, box sets on thumb drives? And then the uh, topic of my call is pseudo-folliculitis barbi, which is shaving bumps. That's what Magic Shave is designed... That's why Magic Shave is out there for people, if they shave and they have curly or kinky facial hair, it turns around and grows right back into the follicle. Well, now, is this the same thing as razor burn? 
No, razor burn is just like a... That's uh, just the result of, of dragging a razor-sharp blade across your skin. Against your skin. Yeah, all right. But what happens is these hairs in a guy's beard turn right around and become an in, ingrown hair. And they create, like, zits that, that are ugly on anybody. But I had, a, when I was in the Army, out of 160 guys, I had the only guy that used magic shave in my room. And... When he was using that stuff, I could walk into the barracks, and I lived up. We lived up on the second floor. I could smell the stuff um, emanating from the bottom of the of the stairs, and I would just turn around and like go somewhere else for four or five hours. Maybe it, I should make Richie use this first. It smells terrible. At least it used to. Excellent. You should always I'm make Richie use. Looking it forward first. to it. All right, excellent. I smelled a rotten egg in my life, but you know what a rotten egg smell is, right? Yes, I do. It's like rotten eggs on hormones, man. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, there you go. My stomach is growling so loud. I forgot my lunch today. Wait, I bet I can catch it. I'm trying to hear it. Yes. This is like the Loch Ness Monster. We are starting to get the sound of Sarah's stomach growling. Wait, hold on. Wait. Hold on. Okay, Sarah's going to... Think gonna... about something delicious. Wait. Damn it. No, no it's not right. working. It's uh, the entire conversation. It was like... And then, of course, it stops right now. This is like when you take your car to the mechanic. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey. What's up? Hey, I got the ingredients for Magic Shave here on the Internet. Yes, I've got them also here on, what do you call it, this list of ingredients. Yeah, well, calcium hydroxide, that is like lye is sodium hydroxide, so that's a little more milder lye. And then polyethylene glycol is like antifreeze. And then you got mineral oil and fragrance and lithium hydroxide. That's which, to you know, keep lithium you is a mind-altering exactly. ingredient, uh, and it's also in hydroxide, so it's kind Just of Just to like, balance my serotonin while my uh, epidermis is being burned to a crisp. Right, yeah. If you lick your fingers, you might, you know, feel better about the, your face will burning or something. Uh, well, that's your, just true in any in any circumstance. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you got yes. your dimethicone, uh, which is an organic silicone that's like a non-greasy, greasy stuff. Yes, you understand, again, that I have the list of ingredients right in front of me, right? Yes, but it means nothing. Let's, but by all means, just continue continue reading them. Well, but it means those words mean nothing to you, right? Maybe you should then start reading off the right. list of things in your pockets. Inspected by twelve. He's just trying to be helpful. I understand. I'm just saying. Here's the thing. You explaining it is it, not going to make me any smarter. I'm going to continue to be just as dumb, sir. There's that's a that's a thing you can't cure. I'm afraid. Okay. Well, and it actually is pretty highly rated on the internet. Yes. Well, that. Well, I mean, really, what isn't? All right. Thank yeah. you, my well, friend. Enjoy your suffering. All right. Thank you. Enjoy I always, your suffering. I always, Speciality is highly rated do. on the Internet, too. <laughs> I'm, I'm Catholic, sir. It just comes to the territory. Hello. Hi. You're on the Rick Emerson Show on KCMD Portland. Hello, Rick. Uh, my name is Tony. I, I wanted to chime in on your discussion about the uh, vinyl and the, the album and the cassette. Let's stop for a moment here. Do you, in fact, have uh, a non-North American accent? I'm sorry? Yes. I can't, do you have an accent, sir, that is not from North America? That, that would be correct. Okay, wh from where do you uh, do you derive? Well, my my, uh, my mother's English and my, my father's Australian. Is this a fake accent you're using? No, not at all. Sarah, can we get a ruling? This sounds fake. It sounds like one of the guys on Flight of the Concord. Here's the thing: it, it sounds, sounds like fake, <laughs> and the tell to me that it might be fake is that you is that you're keeping it at, a, at what sounds like a deliberately low level, as though you're afraid to really take it out, at, you know, out of the garage and let everybody see it. And he also said, "Me mother." I don't believe any, I don't think people actually say that. Actually, we do. I'm sorry, she don't believe me. No, it's, this is a completely fake accent. 
This is this is here's I'm I'm telling you right now. This is like a unless you are in fact Harry Shearer. Uh, I, I believe strongly that this accent is almost entirely counterfeit. Where are you from specifically? I'm from a town, I'm from a town called Evanshead. It's in New South Wales, Australia. Evanshead, New South Wales, Australia. Judges? It's bad. Okay, let me ask you this. Um, what, is the, uh, what is the closest town to that? There's uh, Ballina, there's Byron Bay, um, there's, um, there's uh, Wollongong. Willagong? Sarah, are, are you looking any of this up? Willagong? All right, Sarah, uh, please do uh, give yeah, us... Yeah, there is a Evanshead, North South Wales. All right, now, please please again, sir, to give us, uh, give us again one of the cities that is near your hometown, allegedly. Barn Bay, Ballina. All right, so, Sarah, uh, would you look up one of those, and then... Uh, what was it uh, called? Would you uh, please spell one of those towns for us, sir? Barn Bay, B-Y-R-O-N. All right, and then yeah, see I used that to work with Australians, and I'm starting to actually buy it yep. the more he talks. All right, mm-hmm. so do we the, the, now do we feel it's that this you, is sorry, in fact a legitimate sorry, accent? Judge, sir. All right, you have to understand, sir, that we're surrounded by asshats on just a daily basis, yeah. so one never knows when one is being made the object of fun. What is what is your observation? Well, I just wanted to chime in on what you said about the uh, albums. I think one of the things that's missing that CDs will never have is, and definitely iPods will never have, is the uh, is the album art. Uh, I really love the album art. That's one of the reasons why I hold on to me vinyl. You know, like, uh, one, one of the uh, best album covers was the Journey album. I don't know if you remember the, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you remember the, the little, I guess it's like a, a ladybug looking. Is that the Escape uh, album? I'll where it's got that thing that looks like a, it looks like a scarab. It looks like an yes. Egyptian beetle of some kind. Yes, you're correct. You're correct. And By the way, that's the only time that anybody will ever say the best blah, 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 anything is the Journey album, blah, 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 anything. <laughs> That'll never happen, ever. Um, the, uh, it, it's also interesting when you get the iPod, they'll do that big, um, and the, you know, my, I have a creative zen, that's my MP3 player, but they'll do the same thing that's like a big selling point. No, 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 and you get to display the album art where it's like half an inch, by half an inch, which really, unless you are just unbelievably stoned, holds no appeal or interest at all. There's just no value to be had there. So. Yeah, I used to, I had the uh, ELO uh, Out of the Blue album with yeah. the big spaceship on it, and it's like, you see that on CD, and it's just no, not the so. same. You know what it is? It's like seeing a home video recording of the It's a Small World ride. It's just not the same. All right. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. How did you discover our show? Well, I actually uh, listen to it all the time when I'm on my way to work. All right. Well, you call yeah. us You call us anytime. You uh, spread the word, my friend. All right, thanks so much. All right, there you go. All right. That ends another segment of Rick Emerson, The Ugly American. All right. I found an Elvis concert. I love this song. All right, back after this, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. More from Don Taylor around the corner. Later on, Jim Root from CNN Radio, Aaron Duran from Geek in the City, today's top five, and we'll talk about Watchmen. Don't go anywhere. But I heard you let that little friend of mine take off your part of dress.
right, fine. We'll do no, it in just a moment. No, no, no. Your needs come first. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. You don't want me to start today, do you? What is this uh, music, by the way? Who is this? I love this. This is Marilyn Manson. See, I, again, I'm old and I, I listen to smooth jazz. I, I know nothing, so I just... Yeah, this is, has this sort of... This. He was doing his, like, metal Bowie phase. This is kind of... Oh, this God. is actually when I had to admit that I kind of liked Marilyn Manson. Mm. Because I was so... You, uh, turn it up, Sarah. Rip up the knob and so this is, forth. This is terrific. Yeah. Um, uh, this is when I had to kind of admit that I liked Manson because he did that. His first couple of records was very sub Nine Inch Nails. And he was also really, I know that nothing is original in rock and whatever, but I was, I used to be even more of a hard ass about music than I am now. Like I've, I've kind of, I've mellowed out a lot as I've kind of gotten older. Um, but he was just such a ripoff of Alice Cooper in so many ways. Who at that time, like in the mid '90s, was really not getting the respect I felt he deserved. Alice Cooper hadn't really been, he hadn't really been, I, I thought, it, it sort of respected as as the legend that he is. And, and so I just saw this guy. Well, he's a guy with makeup with a girl's name singing all these morbid songs, whatever. And I got all angry about it. But then when he came out with the mechanical, when Manson came out with the Mechanical Animals record, and it was very sort of sleazy metallic glam rock, and he had that dope show song and the whatever. And I was like, nah, all right. And at, that, and at that point, it's like where you just you have to give up. Like, you just have to give in and go, all right, fine, I like your band. Okay, fine. Let's, let's, let's that's like when I played like Kelly Clarkson's album. Yeah. yeah. I like her. Yeah, I mean, that's, and you know, and you just realize that it's like all of your digging in against it, you know, is just, it's, you know, and I was kind of that way with Nirvana, actually. Um, I was such a fan of, of obviously, Smells Like Teen Spirit because it was great. But then the first time I saw an interview with Kurt Cobain, he was like, I don't want to be famous, you know, on MTV. And I immediately started to just, you know, clench up against it. And then I think it's when I heard um, Serve the Servants, which is the lead track off in utero, and it has that line about teenage angst is paid off well, and now I'm bored and old. And I was like, well, okay. You know, and that, that line, he sort of, he had me at the, he had me at that line. Uh, this guy says, Rick, the next time that caller with the accent calls, please to be having him yell like Christian Bale. We would all appreciate it. Signed, Ugly Americans in the audience. Done and done, uh, Greg. Here's Don Taylor, ladies and gentlemen, with more news for you. Well, a uh, gentleman named Sean Thomas Lester, 33, walked into a convenience store in Charleston, West Virginia on Monday. He had a gun. He said he wanted all the money in the register. Was it His name is what? His name is Sean Thomas Lester. Because, see, in my head, it's like it's doing this sort of like Willie Tyler and Lester. Like, Sean Thomas and Lester. And then Lester's like a ventriloquist dummy with a gun. Like, and I'm going to shoot you in the face. <laughs> And also, if you say it really fast, like Sean Thomas Lester, it, there's almost like a molester I can hear kind the of a thing going in, in there. Oh, see, and I was going for like a Lester Square kind of a thing, but all right. Not Lester Bang. Well, uh, Lester uh, got flustered when a customer walked into the convenience store, and the clerk told him that he had to pay for the soft drink that he had in his hand. So Lester handed over his debit card, then cleverly signed the receipt, John Doe. That is clever. And left without any cash. Police, uh, not being any fools there in Charleston, West Virginia, traced the debit card and found Lester. <laughs> he told police he was only joking when he said he had a gun and demanded money. Uh, he was charged, nonetheless, with armed robbery. And it's not clear whether he had an attorney. It says at the end of this piece, his phone number was unlisted. That's fantastic. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, hello. Hi. You're on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. How can I help you on this Friday? Hey, Rick. You know, on that whole uh, the albums and the and MP3s not having liners and yes, all sir. that stuff and... You know, I really, like, when I was a kid growing up, learning to listen to, or, like, discovering, like, Led Zeppelin and all that, 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 that really, the liner notes really helped me discover the blues. And if it wasn't for the back of the liner notes, like, you know, saying, oh, this song's by Willie Dixon. Who's Willie Dixon? And then search, you know, going down to the record shop right. and searching that out, 
I would have never been into the blues, but I mean now that that was before you know Wikipedia and all that stuff. You couldn't go down to the to the library and look up Willie Dixon in the encyclopedia set. You had to go to the record shop. Uh, it was a little bit of a and and it, it's tempting to, to do that thing of like, well, things were better when and you know Douglas Copeland really nailed it when he said that you know the past sucks. I mean the past sucks and the present is better and the future is going to be even better. That being that being it said, wasn't better. It was just different. Was, I mean, that was just the way we had to do it back then because the information wasn't that available. Exactly. But so because it's, of that, we discovered things that we wouldn't have normally discovered. You couldn't just like, you know, look on Wikipedia. Oh, this this is this is this guy, and just admit, immediately dismiss it. You had to buy a Willie Dixon album it, and listen to it, it is, to discover it, and then it is a little bit of a. That. It's a bit of a trade-off because what you gain in sort of convenience and expediency and being able to. You know, to really drown yourself in music if you want to, you do. It does what you do trade off, I think, with technology and the uh, the availability of music in an online form is you trade off that sort of um, scavenger hunt aspect that you're referring to that made a lot of it. I mean, it was really a, a part of the fun in that you didn't really know if what you were looking for would even be findable or available or if it would be out there. And I uh, I remember because, as I've said many times, you know, in my, my time, they didn't really sell there was a Sam Goody, and that was about it. So they didn't sell it at the Sam Goody's. Like, you couldn't find it, and I didn't really know how to order anything through the mail. So I remember getting a KTEL record uh, when I was about, I don't know, 13, 14, around that age. Because I went to the Goodwill, and that was the only place where you could find, uh, you know, old music. And so I went to the, the Goodwill, and I picked up this KTEL record called, it was called um, Power Rock. And Power Rock had a couple of songs on it uh, that I liked. One of them was Hard Luck Woman by Kiss, and the other one was I Never Cry by Alice Cooper. And I remember hearing this I Never Cry song by Alice Cooper and going, that is really cool. And this picture of him is scary. I want to find out more about this cool, scary guy. And there's nowhere I could really buy any of that stuff. So I remember going back to the Goodwill and to uh, the St. Vincent de Paul, which is a sort of Catholic version of the Goodwill store. Which were both good places totally. to used albums. Totally. And, but, it, and, but it was like every time I went there, there was only two things they were selling. Uh, they were always selling that Fifth of Beethoven thing by Walter Murphy and the Big Apple Band. And they were selling that, that Sean Cassidy record that has the Do Ron Ron. And I would just go back every weekend, though, just sifting through it like you were panning for vinyl gold. And then it, you know, and then I remember one day I went there and it was like, huh, Alice Cooper's Greatest Hits, which is like exactly the thing I was looking for. And I'm like, you know, and it was like I was pulling the sword from the stone and holding it aloft and like, you know, with this shall I slay my musical knowledge. And... I took it home and I put it on. I'm like, this is righteous. And I, I don't know that I would have appreciated it so much if I had been immediately able to go online and hear 30-second snippets of the hook from every song. I think now information can be more dismissive than back then, where you actually had to invest the time. And because you invested the time, you thought, well, I'm going to listen to this, or I'm going to give it a shot, or I'm going to listen to it a couple of times, or I'm going to you know, try and glean something else out of it so it's not a wasted trip to the record show. Totally. All right. Thank you, my friend. Thanks. All right. Here you go. Here's Don Taylor, ladies and gentlemen. Do we, uh, do we have any, uh, any cold viso in the studio? Yes, we do. Uh, and by oh. yes, I mean no, but um, little... <clears throat> I'll have Richie conjure up some okay. for you. Uh, we do have... A, uh, oh, I'm sorry, we have to play, we have a let's play Darwin watch. We're tracking down Jim Root, but let's play this open here. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your Darwin watch for Friday on the Rick Emerson radio program. Well, the ah, there we wait. Go. Oh, there you go. That's a false I, ending, as they say. I, I, 
stepped all over the ending Uh, of the... uh, All right, here's your uh, double Darwin watch with Don Taylor. The winner of a Russian pancake cake... I can start this again. The winner of a Russian pancake eating contest dropped dead after gorging himself on 43 cream and banana stuffed desserts. Fantastic. Uh, Boris Asayev... I believe, 48, from West Russia, Russia uh, collapsed to his knees and died on stage after stuffing himself with pancakes in a competition to mark the end of the region's Pancake Week. One witness said he had really enjoyed the pancakes, but then he started foaming at the mouth and went down like a sack of stones. Uh, interestingly, because because I care about uh-huh. the news, I researched this a little further on the intranet. I'm just going to say that if somebody, I don't know whatever paper that is, somebody there deserves a little bump in their pay because that's... That's a little bit of a uh, that's a collection of word jewels right there. Foaming at the mouth went down like a sack of stones. That's got a certain that's got a certain sort of morbid zing to it that I quite like. Well, you can thank the mirror. God bless uh, you, the mirror. Um, authorities did not offer a possible cause of death, saying that such fightings would come in a post mortem examination. I would bet money, though, it had something to do with eating 43 pancakes. Yes, yes. I'm guessing that at a certain point, your body just goes, "That ah, f this, uh, we're out." But um, this uh, was part of a Russian holiday called Maslanitsa, which is recognized by Catholics as the last week before the start of Lent. It's also known as Butter Week. Excellent. I like, and I like the idea. And Lent, of course, is so Lent is the forty days where you're like you're giving up. He is apparently giving up breathing for Lent. Um, and then you know you're supposed to give something up that you enjoy or whatever. But right before that, everybody just it is the it is the very definition of the Catholic faith. It is the Catholic faith just in a nutshell. Um, the uh, lead up, you know, there's Fat Tuesday, Mardi Gras, and then there is Ash Wednesday, something, something, Good Thursday, Holy Friday, and then something Saturday, and then and then whatever. But there's the whole deal where you're supposed to gorge yourself right up until the very, very last moment, and then you basically repent for 40 days, and then you're saved uh, on Easter, which is exactly how the Catholic faith operates. Because doesn't matter, man. You could, I mean, you could just be out there. You could be out there with a with a, with an edge uh, trimmer, just day and night, just beheading everybody you see. And at the last moment, ah, sorry, I shouldn't have. You know, yeah, this, do, do whatever you want on Saturday night, and then Sunday you go to confession. Well, Catholics very much believe in the Control Z school of of sin and salvation. Do you know what I mean? Type whatever you want, undo, and then you know through the through the gates you shall pass. Here's an insane thing. If you've seen the Kevin Smith film Dogma, he talks about that place at the Vatican where they open the doors once every 50 years or something at St. Peter's Cathedral, and there's this special set of doors that they open, and if you pass through the archway, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done, you are saved and, in fact, granted access to heaven. And the insane thing is, totally true, not made up. I mean, true in the sort of religious sense, but that is a thing that the Catholic Church actually has and does and believes in. So, I mean, this makes perfect sense. I just love the idea of butter week. I love the idea of foaming at the mouth and going down like a sack of stones, not like a pile of, uh, you know, not like a, not like a bag of jacks, not like a, not like a bushel of wheat, like a sack of stones. Here's the uh, second half. Uh, our second Darwin watch concerns a 23-year-old man who told his friends he could hold his water under, his hold his breath underwater for a long period of time, and then drowned while trying to prove it. Uh, the Corpus Christi resident. Corpus Christi is in Texas. Yes. You probably don't have a special sound for Texas. No, no, we don't. The Corpus Christi resident was swimming with a group of friends. Uh, when he did not come up for air, his friends became worried, so they jumped in to retrieve him. Police and paramedics responded to the scene about 9.45 p.m. The man's girlfriend told police she was a certified lifeguard, so she gave him CPR until the medics arrived. 
Uh, but it didn't really work. He was taken to Corpus Christi Medical Center Bay Area Hospital, where he was pronounced dead at 10:08. He wasn't. Which Corpus Christi, of course, is the body of Christ. Uh, so he was uh, taken. He was taken to the body of Christ Hospital, where he. Uh, yes. He did not resurrect. He was, in fact. But really, well, I mean, but it's only one day. We give him two more days. Who's to say? This but, is a story that that it's all told though in the headline. You know, Andrew Persinger. 23, drowned while trying to prove how long he could hold his breath underwater. You really do have to give it up to him for making his case rather strongly, though. I mean, one one must say that if you're going to go out, go out, Victoria, yeah, it's going out on your shield. But, you never, but, but the thing is, though, no, no one will know how long he actually could hold his breath because at think, one point did it stop working. The answer is forever, Don. Well, I guess that's The right. answer is just that little infinity uh, symbol <laughs> from the beginning of Ben Casey. Did they, does it say if it was an actual bet? No, it says he was just... It was just a show of strength. He, yeah, he... Yeah. You know what it is? That's what I call the, <laughs> hey, look at this, uh, cause of death. That's really what that is. All right. That's like those guys. Uh, we had some story uh, years ago. Some uh, group of idiots were together, and one guy and his twin brother, both of them unbelievably drunk on ignorance as well as alcohol, decided to have a contest to see who could throw a brick the highest into the air and then catch it. <laughs> and I do believe... <laughs> One of the things we constantly joke about did, in fact, come true, where the guy who died after a brick, yes, smashed into his face, did, in fact, say, hey, look at this, and then hurled the large stone object into the air, looked up to catch it, and then was, yeah. and really then was just looking into, the, looking into the great beyond after that. So it's always nice when those stories give themselves a little punctuation at the end. Well done, uh... Whoever you were, there's your double Darwin watch. Hey, speaking of ending one's own life, I have a question uh, about something. This is on the front page of the Oregonian, not today. I think this was, in fact, Wednesday. So it's now, I mean, even... Look, even in terms of the Oregonian, it's unbelievably old news by now, but I'll, I'll address it nonetheless because I'm curious about it. Before I get to this, did you print out that Tanya thing? Yes. Okay, great, because I want to make sure we get to that Tanya Harding story. Also, let me make a couple notes to myself here. Hold on. It's in there. It's labeled as a watch. Tanya, and then I got one other thing to mention. After I do this, we'll do, uh, we'll do this, then uh, Tanya, uh, then this other story that I want to tell you all about. So I'm looking at the front page of Wednesday's Oregonian, which I, I mean, it's not like you have to have the newspaper in front of you. Um, but it says, this is by Don Colburn, the Oregonian, 60 people die under Oregon law in 08. This is about the Death with Dignity Act, the, uh, what everybody calls the assisted suicide law. Number of deaths is the highest in the 11 years the law has been in effect. 60 Oregonians, it says, ended their lives last year, 2008, by taking a lethal drug dose prescribed under the Death with Dignity Act, state officials reported Tuesday. That is the highest annual total in the 11-year history of the law, 11 more than in 2007. Deaths from a drug prescribed under the Oregon law now account for two out of every 1,000 deaths in Oregon, which is all well and good. I mean, it's your life. You ought to be able to end it whenever you want and so forth. On this, we all, you know, that's kind of a so-say-we-all sort of a thing. I have two questions about this, though. That this is, I hate to keep using this analogy for everything in my life, but this is like the Chinese typewriter that I just asked for years. What is, how do you use a typewriter if you have a character-based language? And finally, somebody had to, like, go, like, take a photo of one and send it in. I have two questions about this. One... Well, I actually have several questions, but they basically boil down to this. I don't know if anybody knows the answer. So I think to, to be given the option of assisted suicide, where you can take your own life, I think you have to be diagnosed with a terminal disease that left untreated, or I guess in any event, is going to kill you within six months. I think that's the deal. It's like hospice. I think they've got to say, like, look, you're in, uh, you're in unbearable pain or terrible pain anyway, 
and you're going to be dead within six months. So those two criteria being met, we will now give you the option to sort of pull the plug yourself. But I think the deal is, like, first of all, I want to know what they give you. Like, I don't know necessarily the chemicals or whatever, but, I mean, is it just like, is it a pill? Is it a handful of pills? Is it a combination of pills? Don Taylor? I know the answer to this. What is the answer At to this? At least in one case. I know what I know the, what Kervarkian did for... for well, that was a carbon monoxide thing. But also, it was... Uh, but but whatever the, the drug was... Uh, no, uh, he also did uh, injections. Really? And basically uh, hook you up with an IV... And the doctor can assist to the point of hooking you up with the IV, having the drug, thing, but would actually put a plunger in the uh, patient's hand. To start the whole process. So they have to actually push the plunger to start the drugs running through the IV. See, so in Oregon, I wonder if it's... I, I See, in Oregon, I don't think it's that way, because I think in Oregon, the deal is... I have heard it described as you go to the doctor, and I think you have to go through like several meetings with the doctor, and you have to sign like 900 forms. I think you, I think you have to ask for it like three times on three separate occasions uh, to make sure that, like, you really want it. Uh, and then the doctor will send something home with you. And I do believe the doctor gives you a lethal dose of some kind of drug. So my question is, A, I'm interested in the mechanics of that. Like, is it just a pill? Because that seems like a thing where you might take it and go, oh, oh, ah, I thought it was my vitamin. And then, then it all goes wrong. Or is it many, many pills to make sure that at some point during the process you have the option of, like, pulling the ripcord and getting out of it? My other question is, like, what if you're not able to take the medicine yourself? Like, is it legal for someone to do it? Like, if, you're, if, you, if your disease is also debilitating to some degree, or you just, like, got no hands, um, are you allowed to just, like, are you allowed to have somebody assist you with that? So I have that question. Also, here's, here's my other question on that. So I have the question about what do they give you? Are you allowed to have somebody help you with it, or do you have to do it yourself? And then my final question is, if you go to the doctor and you get the assisted suicide dose, but then you go home and you opt not to take it and you die from the disease, what happens to the drugs? I can answer this question for you now. Don Taylor, what happens to those Hang drugs? On. Well, uh, first of all, the first step is to make a formal oral request. Uh, advocacy groups uh, that work with terminal patients suggest something like, Doctor, will you assist me in using Oregon's death with dignity law? At least 15 days later, you need to make another oral request, but the doctor still isn't able to prescribe drugs until you file a written request right. form signed by two witnesses. Okay. Then a uh, doctor can prescribe drugs two days after receiving the written request, but under no circumstances can the doctor administer them themselves. Um, that, would be, that would technically be euthanasia. That's not assisted suicide. That's just killing you. <laughs> Um, almost all assisted suicides take place in the home with at least one health care worker present. The patient takes one of two kinds of barbiturates. Second all costs about $125 for a lethal 10-gram dose, which comes in the form of 100 individual caplets, which have to be broken apart to produce about three tablespoons of powder. Well, that seems like a lot of work. Yeah, Lily's a nurse, and she just wrote me, she said the patient has to be able to take it, and it's more than one pill. If you can't take it yourself, you don't qualify for the program. That is, see, under a Rick Emerson administration, that's going to change. Really. And, and no waiting. There'll just be a booth. All right. I, we got to interrupt ourselves for a moment here to, uh, to do this. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from Los Angeles. CNN Radio correspondent James Roop. Hello, sir. How are you today? I'm very well. Good afternoon. I'm just saying, like, in my world, it's going to be like in Futurama, where you go into the booth and you just put in a quarter, and it's like the assisted suicide booth, and it's you press one for quick and painless, two for slow and horrible. It's like soil and green. Wasn't that a... Same kind of thing. Isn't it? Was there a thing in Soylent Green where you could do so that? When you got certain age and you got to sit in a room and you got to actually watch a movie that had 
waterfalls and the way Earth used to look like and all that stuff, and so you can die peaceful. I was thinking, what is that? Oh, no, you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking of that White Mountain trilogy, uh, the Tripod trilogy, that uh, that Canadian sci-fi series. See, and I'm just thinking of Logan's Run with people being chased around and, and killed violently. You know, because we're all colossal They're nerds. all good. Yeah, they really are. I mean, it's it really, that's a thing where any of those answers is equivalent to any of the other answers. How's life, sir? How are things? Good. All right, so... Let's all just buckle in here and gird our loins to talk about everybody's favorite maker of mischief, Chris Brown. All right. So I read the uh, police report uh, this morning, which does seem to be, I mean, at no point did they say, like, I mean, obviously these are all allegations, but at no point did they say the police report allegedly says or the police report is supposed to say. They were just kind of saying it, you know, flat out like this is this is the case. So what are, what are they what are they charged this uh, this sterling young man with? Well, they charged him with uh, making a criminal threat when he said, you know, you, you made a mistake. Now I'm going to kill you, and um, uh, assault with um, uh, what's the exact verbiage? Assault um, by means uh, uh, through means by which could cause great bodily harm or something like that. You know, meaning using a car door. Or right. Like so that's that. like not just slapping somebody. That's that's really going no, to work he, on I, him. You know, he you know he slammed her head into the car window and you know choked her and bit her fingers and her ear. You know, the whole weird thing. Mm. Well, okay. The uh, the real the the real twist here at the end. The uh, this is sort of uh, you know Rihanna and Chris Brown as written by M Night Sh- you know Shyamalan because at the end it says. Meanwhile, Rihanna, through her lawyer, asked a judge Thursday not to prohibit Chris Brown from having contact with her while he faces felony charges. So she actually went. She actually went to the legal system to make sure that he, to absolutely guarantee that he has the right to come. Like I don't know, hang out for tea or whatever it is they're going to do. You know, this is this is like the wrong message. Yes. Um, and and I can't believe it. It's you know at this point. I don't know that I feel sorry for her anymore. Well, that's, you know, when I said the other day, and I, said, you know, and I know it sounds a little flip, but I said that in a way, if it is true that she has, quote, forgiven him and taken him back, and I don't know that it is, but if it is true that she has accepted him back in the pictures of them together. Her loving arms. See, it makes my job a lot easier because now I don't have to care the next time. Well, and, and this is not the first time this 19-year-old has been involved in violence against women. We were told that there was another incident where... Um, another romantic interest of his uh, has come forward to say that, oh, yeah, he beat her, too. So, you know, given that, given the rage that he apparently demonstrated the night before the Grammys, I mean, it beat her pretty good. That's not just a slap in the face cause, out of frustration. Right. That's anger and rage, and, you know, he didn't care who she was at that point. That, to me, would say, okay, yeah, I forgive you, but... I'll never see you again. Well, and the, and you know, and the thing is, you're saying that there's you know these reports that this, this happened earlier. I mean, not that it's not that any of this is acceptable in any way, but I mean, you you in some, if one really wants to be generous, you can almost stretch your own mind and acceptance to the point that okay, uh, you know, you have something, some argument becomes a conflagration, becomes an assault, and this horrible thing is done, and at that point, if you're the guy who allegedly does it. You know, you, there's that. You know, you one has that long look into one's one's own personal abyss, and you say, "All right, there's something really obviously broken about me. I'm going to go sit in a room by myself or with someone of a professional nature until I figure out what in the hell my problem is." Yeah. You know, but, but clearly that you know that doesn't seem to be the case here. Clearly, well, there's I don't, just. I don't a, think I, you know. While he says he's 
he apologized back on February 15th, I think it was. He he issued a statement saying he, he's sorry for what happened. He's getting help from his pastor and his mother and the milkman and everybody else involved. But yeah, I religion is always the cure for those you things. You know, and and yet, how long is it going to be until we hear about something like this again? Uh, I uh, uh, a, a couple of weeks. After, I mean, already his arraignments pushed back to April sixth. Seriously, so I want to know how he's going to plead on this thing yet. I want to make him. Uh, I want to forcibly make him the star of his own reality show, whether he gives permission or not. And I just want to follow him around, and I want to track all the women that choose to date him in the future. That's oh, it. Yeah. It's just going to be a who's dating Chris Brown now, and then we'll just and we can just do a health update on them every day, just kind of check in, and you know. And we can all, you know, and we can all take odds on how long it's going to take for something to start unraveling again. <laughs> Jesus, for the love of God! It's not going to take long. I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if something happens during this month that we're waiting for the arraignment. Which I don't understand that anyway. An arraignment is you just plead into the charges, mm-hmm. guilty or not guilty. Why do you have to postpone it for thirty days? Are you thinking about it? What you know? I don't get that at all. I don't understand that that whole thing. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's just postponing the whole damn business, and it's it's causing costing taxpayers money and. Pissing me off. I uh, I have this question. I'm not sure if I asked you this or not. I did. I never know how it works. I think with domestic violence in this, I guess wasn't that because I uh, they were living together, but I guess it was out in public. I don't really know. But there's there's that thing like with domestic violence where the cops have to do something. Like you know they can't. In other words, if they come to your house because somebody's pounded on somebody, right. like they have to take somebody away. They can't not take action. I well, think at I least in Oregon. I don't know that she could dro- she could drop these charges, but I don't know that. The state. That's my question: still... Is could she go to the state and say, like, no, 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 it's all a big misunderstanding. You gotta let him walk. Or, or, or at that point, would the state say, well, like, look, you may be dropping your charges, but the people are going to continue to press yeah, charges it's the against you. Same him. thing with Roman Polanski. I right. mean, the, the woman says, you know, I don't want anything to do with this anymore. I'm dropping the charges. Yeah, okay, great, good for you. We're still going after. Right. Him. You know, I think I think it's it, on a felony. I think I think. The, the DA is going to keep going. Here's it. I mean, I, I know that they probably, have, you know, you, this is already, you know, this is like journalism 101, so already stuff that your roads you've gone down. But I mean, have you, what is the general, what is the general reaction to this by people, or in this case, women who deal with this, deal with these kind of issues, who work at shelters or who work with uh, women? Well, they, you know. they, as, as, as crappy as this is for me to have to cover, it's good that they, that we do, they tell us, because it brings this to light. Mm-hmm. And if Rihanna is going to cooperate with police, as she did at the beginning of all this, then maybe somebody who's a, a victim of domestic violence, you know, but doesn't, don't know, doesn't know how to get out of it, would have the courage then to contact the authorities. Or maybe somebody who's uh, a perpetrator of it might want to get help. It, it brings it out into the public's eye, as ugly as it is, like it did, like the O.J. Simpson thing did. Well, you know, for a while there, women's shelters were full. At, you know, immediately after Nicole Brown was murdered, you know, and then so I, I would imagine the same thing is going on again. Well, you know, and you get, we were talking about this yesterday. You know, no one, no one chooses to be a role model. You are chosen to be a role model, and you know, the, the people, you know, especially young people, choose someone on whom to model their lives. Or maybe they shouldn't, but they do. That's just the way it is. And it, it is very disheartening uh, to think that there are uh, people looking at Rihanna and saying, "Well, look, she's got, uh, you know, she's got." Uh, you know, a certain amount of power, and she's got some clout and some pull, and she's got money, and she has a lot of freedom that comes with success and money, and yet she is still in this situation. What hope could there possibly be for me, you know, as a woman on the, you know, the, the well, average run of the mill? There's the other side of the coin, yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I just, I just want to throw this out real quickly. You know what would be interesting, and I don't, I mean, you know, I don't know if this is anything that has already been covered or whatever. I would be curious to know if, like you, for example, went and found 
a bunch of girls of varying ages, you know, old enough to know what's going on, but not adults. In other words, you find some girls from like, you know, pop music age, like 10 to about 17. And just canvas a whole bunch of them, and we, without pushing them one way or the other, and just see what their thoughts on this are. Because I have to say, and I won't say who it was, uh, but mm, I will say that there's someone, there's someone that, there's someone that I know. I'll put it that way. There was someone I know who I don't know if they over, they knew I was listening, but uh, they were having a discussion about this the other day, and I overheard the conversation, and the woman in this conversation said pretty loud and clear that, that she felt that Rihanna probably had it coming somehow and that she'd probably done something to piss him off because why would you just beat on somebody that much unless they'd done something to really deserve it? And Somebody actually said that? Somebody actually said that. And I won't say who it was, but somebody that I know actually said that. And not to me, but I heard them having woman. that discussion. It was a woman. And so, you know, obviously, you know, your mileage may vary. Results not difficult. But I would be curious to know... If you got a bunch of girls who were like 10 to 17 and you laid out just the facts, just the facts as we understand them, without giving them any sort of, you know, subjectivity to it, and just see what their thoughts are on this and see what message is being inferred. I mean, because I, I honestly do don't know what it would be. Well, I'd, I'd be curious, you know, just if nothing else, I would be curious to know what conclusions, you know, they're 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 coming to because... You know, society. You know, society's changed in a lot of ways. Uh, society has has not changed in some ways, and uh, I'd be curious to know how that is trickling down to this generation. I'm anyway. going to do that. I'm going to I'm going to do that and have it. Uh, the, the network, if I do pitch that, they'll say, okay, wait, and release that the, the morning of the arraignment. Right. But you know, so yeah, that's uh, that gives me plenty of time to canvas a boatload of them. All right. Well, on that grim note, I wish wow, I had. No, a... that's a that's a great thing. Thank you. Well, I'm just trying to try to help. I wish I had a wacky joke uh, to. Uh, I wish I had a wacky joke. Don, do you have a joke? I have no joke. Jim, do you have a joke? I, I never have jokes. All right, I got nothing. I only add the one joke I to tell over and over again, which is about termites, and it's not funny. So, on that note, my friend, uh, I don't know. Go go drink something stout tonight. On and, my uh, way now, sir. All right, thank you. Have a good weekend. All right, you too. There you go, Jim Rope, ladies and gentlemen. I love him. We got to break. We're late. All right, all right. Take a break here. We'll be back after this. More with Don Taylor. Uh, coming up later on. Hey, Queen, listen to that. That's right. In your face, everybody who's not Queen. Uh, coming up later on, uh, Watchmen Review. We'll talk to Don Taylor more about Watchmen. Aaron Duran will be here from GeekInTheCity.com. And we'll do the top five songs Aaron Duran has been surprised to hear people singing out loud in a bar. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. <laughs> What you do at Inatech is you take the specifications from the customers and you bring them down to the software engineers. Yes, y yes, uh, that's that's right. Well, then I just have to ask, why couldn't the customers just take them directly to the to the software people, huh? Well, uh, I'll tell you why. Uh, because engineers are not good at dealing with customers. Uh -huh. So you physically take the specs from the customer? Well, no, my, my secretary does that, or the facts. So then you must physically bring them to the software people? Well, no. Yeah, I mean, sometimes. Uh, what, what would you say you do here? 
Well, but look, I already told you. I deal with the goddamn customers so the engineers don't have to. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. Can't you understand that? What the hell is wrong with you people? Code monkey, get up, get coffee. Code monkey, go to job. Code monkey, have boring meeting. Boring manager, Rob. Rob said, Code monkey, very diligent, but his output stinks. His code not functional or elegant. What do Code monkey think? Code monkey think maybe manager wanna write goddamn login page himself. Code monkey not say it out loud. Code monkey not crazy, just proud. Code monkey likes speedos. Code monkey likes tablets. Emerson Radio Program. Jonathan Colton, ladies and gentlemen. Incidentally, you really ought to check out the uh, animated series of the same name, Code Monkeys on G4, uh, which is unbelievably vile and offensive and hilarious. So, uh, Keelan, he of uh, Magic Shave and Spatula fame. Uh, Gave me the hookup on that. It's uh, it's quite something. If you have an Xbox, by the way, you got Xbox Live. You can download Code Monkeys directly to your Xbox. Incidentally, I uh, see. I can't say it on the air because it's her gamer tag. Um, our good friend Lisa Wood, who is the promotions director, Rock One and One K UFO. There was this whole conversation with her the other day where she, I guess I can say the gamer tag she wanted to use for Left 4 Dead because she wasn't able to get it. Mm-hmm. A because she and her husband only have you know there's the, the, one account, one gamer tag, and if you want a second one, you have to pay for the second one. And also because it's because it's profane, you can't do profanity. She did want to be, was it just the F word or was it effer? I think it was just the F word. I think, I, it, was I think it was just douche F was what she wanted. And she's like, hey, I'm trying to like log on so I can register douche F as my gamer tag. How do, why can't I do that? And I kind of got past the issue that that's what she wanted her gamer tag to be. And then we discussed the fact that she would need a separate account. Um, I will simply say that the gamer tag she ended up settling on is a variation on the phrase <laughs> explosive butt. So, you know, so there's that in any event. I, I play on the PC, and it just set me up as my tag being, like, the name before the at on my email account. Do you have, I, a, do you have like, uh, like an Xbox or, like, a uh, Microsoft email account or something? No, I have oh. a Gmail account. Well, see, and, I, I, don't, and, I, don't, and I, don't, I haven't been able to find any way to actually change it. or I, it, it just did that. Well, it's I think... Like, this, is, this is who you are now. I think if you're playing on the PC, that's like Valve or somebody might actually yeah, do that. Yeah, it is Valve. Yeah, see, so on the, uh, on the Xbox, you know, because they're... I mean, they're just relentlessly stealing features from the Wii, basically, is what they're doing. And so they let you sort of modify it to uh, to that degree. So have you gone online yet, or are you still playing Left 4 Dead against the computer like a girl? I'm still playing like oh, a girl. Oh, come on! For the love of all that is holy. 
You're like my wife. She's like, I don't want to be the weak link that's causing all my teammates to die. And I'm like, you know, this is no way to train for the real world zombie apocalypse. I vow this weekend, this weekend, I will go online and I will go online. You know, Aaron like had his bones cut in half or something because he had surgery and he's still playing. So, I mean, what is your excuse? I'm shy. Yeah. All right. Uh, I yeah, saw somebody. I've never seen anyone playing it, but I was over at Lisa Woods and her husband Brian was playing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I, I wasn't holding the remote, so I, I don't get it, but I don't really see the addiction. I would say the thing about Left Seam, from my vantage point, the thing about Left 4 Dead, which is a first-person uh, shooter for Xbox and PC that takes place in a zombie film, the thing about it is, is it, it, actually, to me, that is one of the rare games that is actually enjoyable just to watch someone play because sometimes you'll hear that about a movie they'll say well it's just as enjoyable as watching somebody else play a video game but i will actually sit and watch other people play that game because i find it to be uh, so fantastic my husband likes to watch me play but then he's really annoying because he's like right, no, left. no yeah. down down no, no. Down the stairs oh stupid stupid girl stay close oh sweep the room sweep the room i didn't get to see one of those witch things though and i really wanted to see one. yeah they're unnerving hey just uh, if you want to see one of the witch uh, one of the witches when you're playing left for dead apparently all you have to do is hang out with scott daly <laughs> who just has an almost unbelievable sort of spidey sense like ability just to trip over the witch who then takes 80 percent of his life force with one hit all right, uh, and we're nerds. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hello, Rick. This is Lisa. Hello. How are you? I am wonderful. I have to tell you, I think you um, have really exceptional people skills, really. Are you being sarcastic? Maybe just... Tell me! <laughs> All right. Um, hi, Sarah. Hi, hi everybody. Hi. I'm actually calling um, because I, my husband is a fellow bacon lover, and I have not been able to find bacon aids. Uh, bacon aids can be found. You just go to bacon salt dot com and you may have to they may have a sort of a you know like a store locator the, the thing that tells you where you can buy it uh but it, it, it push comes to shove worst comes to absolute worst you can buy it from baconsalt.com it is the same company they make bacon a's bacon salt in many varieties and that bacon lip balm uh that's our everything last. good everything yes. good yes all indeed. right thanks a lot thank you bye-bye all right there you go no, I thought I'd like it, but then I realized that walking around with your face smelling like bacon probably isn't a good way to go through life. No, and that seems like a thing that'll get the chimp on you pretty quickly. <laughs> Hi, you're on the... Police authorities say it started when the woman smeared her face in what smelled like bacon fat. Now, with the rest of that story, and then it just shows your head swaddled in blood-soaked bandages. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hello, Rick. Hello, you. Hey, this is Dwayne again. How you doing? I'm sorry, this is what about guy? Okay. This is Dwayne. Oh, okay, yes. Hey, I uh, wanted, wanted to mention that with the magic shave that uh, my father used to use that when I was a kid, and he would literally scrape that off with, like, a uh, butter knife. Yeah, no, I, apparently it, 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 it adheres uh, to your face pretty uh, pretty strongly. One has to really give it a good yank to get it off yeah. your face. Yeah, and when he would scrape, when he would uh, finally get all the, his beard off, uh Bear in mind, my father, my father was black, but he would have this, like, Richard Pryor look where, you know, if you've ever seen him. he was on fire? Him, well, if you've ever seen him without any any goatee or mustache. Yes. Just totally had this, I mean, bear-shaved look, and it just, it was just, there's just some men that wear mustaches and beards. That shouldn't shave at all. Well, there's it's just awkward. Yeah, sometimes if you like, sometimes there are guys who I think need at least a little bit of stubble, or else they just look, they just it's just a weird, uncompleted look. There are certain faces that simply look unfinished without some kind of facial hair. And you're right, Richard Pryor was that way. I can totally see that. But yeah, and, I, and I've used it myself before, and I, I, I apparently I left it on a little bit too long, and I was I was pretty scaly afterwards. Uh, it was so. scaly. 
Oh. I and I, I grew a tail. It was all very uh, un- it was all very unnerving. All right, thank you. I had a lot of creature to, creature from Black Lagoon going on when I when I used it last. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, that's 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 no good. All right, excellent. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Oh, there you go, Dwayne. I grew a zipper down my back. One more, and uh, then we'll do uh, a story or two, then we'll get caught up. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Who might this be? Hey, this be Scott. Yes, hello. Rick. How can I help you, sir? I'm going to help you with all your uh, direction dementia that you have. When you talk about coming out of the parking lots downtown and say, where the heck am I? Hey, you know, can I just tell you this? Um, I actually I went to pick up my wife at the airport last night at the Portland International Airport. And because I forgot the GPS, I actually got lost within the airport itself. Um, so I and I was late getting there anyway because it was a whole thing where my dog my dog started eating the TiVo remote and I had to wrestle it away and it was a whole thing anyway so I'm I'm late on the way to the airport and I try to be there for that Kodak moment where she gets off the plane and comes to the gate and I'm standing there and the you know yep, like in the yep. you know the Paul Simon song is playing underneath and whatever and so she calls me in the phone and she's like you know I'm I'm in the airport where are you and I'm like baby I'm sorry it was the TiVo and I, I'm on my way and so I'm like speeding to the airport. And it's like I've been to the airport 9,000 times, but without the GPS, I'm just always in fear that I'm somehow going to end up in, you know, in Boise or something. And so I get into the airport, and she's like, okay, I'll be out front, blah, 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 terminal, blah, 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 Alaska Air. And what I didn't really realize is, like, when you're going into the airport, there's just that thing that says arrivals. And foolish me, I thought that's where she'd be. But it turns out there's like, an, like a lower circle and an upper circle. And yep. so I'm just driving around in a loop endlessly. And finally she goes, she's like, what, what in the hell, where are you? And I said... I'm in the airport. I'm driving around in a circle. She's where? And I said, you know, down here. And she's like, you're such an idiot. I'm up on the other level. Please come get me. And oh, but to be fair, that gets confusing. Like, are you in the departures or arrivals? And, I, and she didn't actually call me an idiot. I'm sort of embellishing there. But she's like, but she actually said, she goes, she goes, I did say I was in the upper circle. You know, uh, so I'm up here like whenever you like. I've been here for 15 minutes. And I'm okay. So I got lost within. I mean, that's like 50 square yards, basically. I mean, it's just a circle, and I wasn't able to figure out where I was going. So how can you help me, sir? All, all you need is an iPhone. Simple as that. They have a little function called G-Park, you know, I was, G-Locator. You know, I was hoping just, that this would be a solution that didn't cost $400. No, 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 no. So it, well, it's less than that. It's like 199 You can buy them on eBay for cheaper yeah. used. And then all you do is you get out of your car, you press the G button, and you walk away. And then all of a sudden, when you get outside your building and you look around, you go, where the hell am I? You press the G button, and it says, this way, stupid. It literally just directs you right back to Back to your point of origin. Back to your point of origin. So you even even cool about it, like the other day I was trying to find a place, and guys just trying to describe it. It sounds like, you know, a mafia hit zone. You go left, you go down this right, don't worry about the neighborhood, go this way, go that way. And I'm going down, and I'm trying to find it, you know, and I'm following his directions. And I finally said, ah, let me hit my uh, G phone locator. And all of a sudden, I think I'm right where I'm at, and you press the button again. I don't know how they do this. It's like the big spy in the sky. All of a sudden, I press the button again on the iPhone, and all of a sudden, it goes to a picture. Well, this is right? so like it's, like a, it's like a trail of breadcrumbs, basically. Well, 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 but what it does is once you get there, you press the button, and it has literally a 360-degree physical picture of your location. So wait a minute. I'm confused. Is this the iPhone or the G phone? No, this is the iPhone. All right, okay. So I saw that yeah. Jeep on the other day that has something similar to that. Also, oh, it does a retinal scan. This is great. Now we can, right. can never be lost again. All right, thank you, sir. I love yeah. I love these people whose solutions things are always like you need to you need a, an iPhone. Yeah. And and I'm like, do you understand that I'm a freelance writer? Yeah. You know, my I I have a a Virgin Mobile account where it's like it costs me like twenty bucks a month for my phone, and I got the phone like free. Yeah. 
I came in a box of cereal. Well, you know, the iPhone only costs. I, yeah, and how much does it cost you every month? I hate when people put only. Like, like a lot of people with cable, they're like, oh, my cable's only like $100. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever noticed that? What is your AT&T bill every month and, to maintain your iPhone? And by the way, and people only, only, people, they, they exclusively use only before something that's expensive. <laughs> they never say it's only $1.99. They always say it's only 399 But if you're getting the new service plan, it's 299 because you can mail in a card. They'll give you $100 back. And so that's that's the you know the, that is the thing about that. And also, well, never mind. I'm just going to say I did see the G phone the other day, which is also pretty righteous. I that's I, what I would buy. If I, I have spend the yeah. Money. I have creepy tech love for, yeah, for the G phone. I I Crump has one. It's uh it's pretty great. I'm a I'm a fan. The, but you are right though about the the solution to everything is to buy like you know I'm trying to give up my you know I'm trying to beat my rampant consumerism. Well, here's five products that will help you do that. And it's like I. No, I no, I don't think so. Uh, well, let's take a break here, shall we, Sarah? We'll be totally caught up after that. We'll come back. News with Don Taylor. Uh, Watchmen review with Aaron Duran from GeekInTheCity.com. Uh, let's see what else we've got. The Kevin says, "Ask Rick question." All right, we'll do that, and then these three mystery calls as well. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Don't go anywhere. the Rick Emerson radio program, an excursion into weirdness. Hey, during the break, Don Taylor was telling a story about a gynecological visit. Was it the story you told me long ago? Yes, it was. Because uh, Aaron and I were sharing, but Aaron has been warned not to tell his story on the air. No, Aaron is not to be telling the story. Not that mine is that nice. You know, it's just... Uh, it's 503-733-2970 here with Don Taylor from film.com. Uh, In just a moment, we'll welcome Aaron Duran. We'll talk about uh, Watchmen, more of your phone calls, and uh, other things of that nature. Uh, and so, but, hey, before, I, I probably asked you this on Tuesday, Don, but uh, did you, for film.com, you were writing a thing about uh, Watchmen. Was there anything sort of beyond that? Because you handled the DVD uh, aspect of that uh, of that whole uh, that whole joint. So, um, I've been all over the place lately. It's uh, I've got I've got a couple of pieces coming up. Uh, Film.com. One, two of them are Watchmen-related. One probably will post this weekend, and that's the one about whether or not it would have been better served as an HBO right. miniseries. And then I've been uh, I've been assigned the the delightful piece I can't wait to get started on for next week on uh, five things that Watchmen could have done better. Yeah, and, five really. Yeah, I'm supposed to narrow it to five. Yeah, have gonna fun with that. Looking forward to that. But also, just as far as pimping myself, uh, next week I'm also going to start writing for Cinematical. So you'll be able to find my bloggings and blatherings at cinematical.com. And is that going to be uh, about anything in particular? I mean, a certain kind of of movie writing? Or? It's kind of uh, it's really kind of newsy. It's a catches catch can sort of thing. That apparently the way it works is that we the writers nab stuff uh, from the internet, and as we come up with stuff in our feverish little brains, and then we go, this is mine, you know, and you kind of call dibs on it, and then you write a blog post, and it goes up, and so I'm going to be blogging a couple of So it's sort of like a Lord of the Flies uh, kind of a thing. As best I could tell, yes. All right, so it's just a wrestling for the the binary conch, as it were. And I've already been warned that one of the writers uh, is on the East Coast, and so she gets, like, all the good stuff when she gets up early first thing in the morning, so... 
it's uh, so, so I immediately feel competitive, and then I'm like, yeah, but if I get up at 3 a.m. and read the wires, you know, so I have no idea how this is. You know, it's, that's the work ethic that's needed <laughs> in the 21st century, Don Taylor. We're, uh, that is uh, that is really the uh, that is the kind of can-do attitude that is going to see you through the financial hard times. I'm an American, doing, not an American. Doing more with nothing, nothing at all. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from geekinthecity.com. Aaron Duran. Hello. Hello. Sir. How are you? My plan for surviving these economic hardships is just to continually work for free. That way, when the axe comes down, you know. Well, you've ruined my whole plan now. I mean, yeah. I thought I thought that I was uh, I thought that I was making real groundbreaking progress over here, but oh. now I see that someone has beaten me to it. Uh-huh. That's right. Hey, so before we do anything else, I'm going to get this call here, Richie. Here's. This is just like the best <laughs> sentence in like a syntactical sense. I mean, it, 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 the linguistics of this are fascinating because it's almost like you could read, you could read almost any meaning into this collection of words that you want. Richie said, and I'm assuming this is supposed to be Benjamin, even though it's spelled Benjamin. Maybe he's Benjamin the dog face man. And it, uh huh. And it says on his way to watch man, comma geek in city, which I guess could be understood as he is on his way to watch a man and he is, he, the caller, is a geek in city, or oh, or he is on his way to watch man and also to watch a geek in city. Well, Maybe could he's also, on his way to watch Aaron, who is the man who runs Geek in the City. I suppose. And also, he could be on... Well, now he fixed it. Now, see, now, now, see, now, no, no fair going back and but now know, he looks, with but it. But now it's fact. still just Watchman, which makes you think he's an Adam West villain. I am on way to look at Banner. Michael, hello. You're on the uh, Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hi. Hey, everybody. This is Benjamin. Good to talk to you. How can I help you, sir? Hey, so what I said was I am on my way to see Watchmen, courtesy of Geek in the City. Excellent. Oh, okay. So you're going to the yeah. Roseway? I'm going to the Roseway, yep, Woo-hoo. for the uh, next showing. And I wanted to thank you very much for uh, helping me overcome my social phobia and actually pulling me up there to uh, answer some questions. Well, you're welcome. Nobody else was, so excellent. I volunteered you. Are you? Uh, how? Uh, you know? How? To what extent are you filled with anticipatory glee, sir, on a scale of one to ten? Uh, you know, I'm pretty excited. I'll give it a solid eight. I read the book, and uh, I really don't care if it's different. I think it's going to be visually just beautiful, and and I think a good story. So that's. And then a long silence that. descended over the room. All right, well, enjoy the film, sir, and uh, we look forward to hearing your thoughts. Well, yeah, I don't want to talk about it if you haven't right. seen it yet, you know. All right. Well, thanks. I did have one question for uh, Aaron. What's up with the uh, AZ podcast? I don't, uh, I haven't been able to get the last couple of uh, weeks on the website. Let's let Rick take that one. Yeah, well, here's the thing about that. Um, so AZ episode four, which aired uh, not this last Sunday, but two Sundays ago, and there's going to be episode five coming up this coming Sunday, 6 p.m. So episodes one, two, and three are on the uh, website. They're downloadable. But for the longest time, you know, people in the podcast were sort of an inexact science. And, you know, with our station, we just hadn't, you know, we, they did, we didn't really have a process in place to be archiving and podcasting and whatever, making all the shows available and sort of just saving everything. So a lot of listeners, God bless them, started running their own kind of bootleg uh, streams of the show where they would be putting up their own sort of homemade archives. And then we really got a great podcast system to go. And I really mean that sincerely. Bridget yeah. from upstairs and Richie Bristol have really started working just hand in glove to get all the all the shows archived and posted but as a result, you know, the audience kind of rightfully felt like, okay, now they're doing it, the station's doing it, we don't really need to worry about doing it all ourselves. That usually is, that usually works out uh, splendidly, except for this last Sunday when the internal recording mechanism here at CBS Radio went completely uh, belly up. And so there is no internal recording of AZ Episode 4, and we are still endeavoring to find somebody out there who happened to tape it, who can then get us even like a low-quality uh, version of it, as long as it's listenable. So... 
worst comes the absolute worst. We can't do anything else. We'll have it reperformed, probably yeah, not yeah. on the air, but probably have it reperformed in a studio and put up so you can hear it. Uh, but we are trying to get somebody out there who taped AZ episode four, uh, which is called The Geek Shall Inherit. And, you know, if you are that person, if you have a copy of it, you let me know, and we will, uh, we'll glad you give you something uh, bright and shiny for it. But otherwise, we're going to get it re-recorded in the studio and get it posted, sir. All right, cool. Thank you, guys. All right, thank, thank you. you. There you go. All right. Hey, while we're talking about it, what is uh, coming up on this Sunday's uh, AZ on CBS Radio Theater, Aaron Duran? Uh, on uh, this Sunday's AZ, uh, we're going back to, uh, we kind of call them the, uh, the continuity stories. So we're going back to, uh, to Mary and all the people surviving uh, on the, the Ross Island Bridge. Ross Island Bridge. On Ross Island. On Ross Island. And uh, we're gonna. This one kind of gets into the internal politics of the survivors that are living on the island, and uh, how they come to decisions on who lives and who dies. And here is just the. Uh, I won't give any spoilers, but here's just sort of the opening uh, to AZ. It's called Preludes Part One. So is it part one of like a multi-part story, obviously, or? Yeah, but there really wasn't going to be any mention of it until it ends with the To Be Continued. It says Preludes Part 1. That's the title. It's right here. The script does. The script that can only be read by the people involved and the executive producer, Rick Emerson. What? <laughs> yes, it's a part Way one. Look over there! <laughs> Shut up! I didn't, it it would have been like me. Best of Both Worlds starting Best of Both Worlds Part 1. Did it, did it say, like, working title for eyes I don't only? think it actually said at any point, you can't say this or don't reveal it or don't give the title. Wait, wait since when could you not give the title of something? That's just you dumb. You could have given the title or just leave the part one off. Do TV shows, uh, you know, yes. TV shows, you know, would often say, well, look, you you should title it what you want it to be called. It's called Preludes. It's called Preludes Part One. I got the script in my desk. Yeah, but the email says, don't give it off. Whatever. <laughs> anyway. It's fine. So AZ. Just for, I'm killing everyone now because of that. <laughs> We're starting over. <laughs> Uh, so AZ this coming Sunday, uh, CBS Radio Theater, 6 to 7 p.m., live radio drama from the studios of AM 970. So half of that is AZ, which is After Zombies, a live uh, radio drama serial set here in Portland, Oregon, contemporary times after the zombie apocalypse. The other half of that is a uh, detective noir thriller set here in Oregon, uh, in Portland, Oregon. Kimmy Waters and the <laughs> yeah. Kimmy Waters and the Stumptown Starlet, a Portland cop gone dirty, a bloody drug war about to spill red on city streets, and a ditzy Hollywood dame caught uh, get caught pinned between a bullet and a rail of white powder, and that is Kimmy Waters and the Stumptown Starlet. That is this coming Sunday, part of CBS Radio Theater, right? Uh, theater right here on AM 970. Let me just do uh, these, then we'll uh, probably break and we'll talk Watchmen. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. What's up? This is Scott. Yes. Hello. Hi. Hi, I, you know, you and Sarah were talking about shrinks um, just the other day. And, yeah, just, uh, the, just the one that, time the other day, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I just wanted to let you know that I had a shrink once who kept falling asleep on me while I was talking to him, and turned out he got arrested for having sex in his office with all the females. So he was exhausted but really by the time you would come in there. You were his opportunity to, to rejuvenate his manly vitality. I just, you know, it just eroded totally my face. But I wanted to leave you with a quick, you did wanted you, a little joke. But did it hurt your feelings a little bit that maybe, like, if you had been ever so slightly more alluring, he might have put the moves on you, too? Not that you would have wanted that, but just, you know, it's nice to be complimented. Or if your problems were just a little bit more interesting. Seriously, yeah. If you'd been, uh, if you'd had some sort of a deviant sexual problem. Yeah, a sexy problem. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I just sort of <laughs> left that one behind. All right, excellent. Yes, but, uh, I had, but I did have a little optimum, little quick little shot for you to carry away. Is this going to be uh, radio-friendly, sir? Yes, it is. All right. It is the uh, new uh, – Denny's has a new optimum uh, feature on their menu. It's called the Optimum Breakfast, and it's uh, eight eggs, no sausage, and the guy next to you pays for it. 
Okay, that's pretty funny, actually. All right, well done, sir. All right, have a good weekend. Thank you. All you right. and Sarah are fantastic. Uh, what about Aaron? No, I and, suck. It's all right. And Don. And Don. Uh, I'm sorry. And Richie Bristol, you know? How well, you... let's not go crazy. Oh, stop. No, I'm just kidding. All right, you have a good weekend, sir. Thank you, Rick. All right, thank you, my friend. There you go. All right. Uh, one more, then we'll break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Who might this be? Frank. Hello, Frank. How can I help you today? Well, I wanted to talk to you about first-person shooters. Excellent. Please, you guys please are, do so. Um, you like uh, first-person shooters. There's a really cool game online. All the kids at my college play it. And it's called uh, Combat Arms. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. It's like a war game. You can make a character, male or female, and uh, you can play with a bunch of different people. And so, what is the uh, so the, is it an Frank. online only uh, game or is this so is it this is this is PC yeah, it's or online. it's all online only? All right. and is it that is it that kind of creepy army recruiting game? Yes, yeah, this one. Are you secretly being brainwashed by the government to no, join the Marines? No, 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 or to no, take no, on the no. Borgon Armada? No, no, no. Um, are you now? Is this a PC game, sir? Yes. All right. Yes. And uh, so it's an online. The website you have to go to is called Nexton. Nexton, N E X T O N. N-E-X-O-N. Oh, N-E-X-O-N. And so is it like a, is it a multiplayer first-person shooter game, yes. like a Call of Duty kind of a thing? Yeah. All right. And where is it, yeah. uh, where is it set? Um, well, you, you have different war zones you can play in. Yes. And so what would, what would one of those be, for example? Death Room. The Death Room. <laughs> I want to go vacation in Death, death room. room. So there's not and a lot that, of subtlety to this game, is what you're <laughs> saying. <laughs> that does sound you like a... You can have different games like Capture the Flag or yes. Elimination is or it, Seek and Destroy or... or death Room. Or Death Room. Um, <laughs> is it, I guess, uh, so is it, uh, is any part of the game set in like a real world locale? Like maybe you're, uh, you know, like in a, in a real country somewhere or is it all just in no, sort of... No, it's just different areas. There's so it's sort of, sort of like a deathmatch type of game. Yeah, all different right. areas like you can play like one's called Rattlesnake and it looks like a jungle setting and there's a cave one and then... Bunch of different ones, but that's pretty cool because you can update your weapons. Um, they have different, all sorts of different kind of weapons yeah. and gear and armor. And how many, uh, how many people can play simultaneously, sir? Uh, thousands. Really? So it's a massively multiplayer yeah, cause online. Yeah, me and my friends at the college, we there's like six of us, and we play all, play all at the same time. Excellent. Nexon, N E X O N. Yeah. Excellent. All right. It's called Th Combat Arms. All right. Thank you, my friend. Have a good weekend. No problem. You too. All right. There you go. There's some. Shiny, a slang term for great use in the television series Firefly and the movie Serenity. Okay. Don, what do you have to say about Death Room or whatever? Prepare to drop into an ever-changing theater of conflict where you are in control of your gameplay. From your fully customizable character to your lethal arsenal of weapons to the scenarios you want to experience. Experience fierce battles online with up to 15 of your friends and enemies in dense jungles, frozen tundras, industrial wastelands, and more. Fantastic. I'm completely there. And it's free. And it's free. All right. There you go. All right. Uh, we'll take a break. We'll come back after this. We will have Aaron Duran from geekinthecity.com give us his thoughts on Watchmen. Uh, we have Mike here who wants to talk about a robotic tournament of some kind. Fantastic. Uh, Lycus, a final Tom Lycus show coming up today at 3 o'clock. We'll talk a little bit about what the future of the AM 970 afternoons will be. Uh, after that, we have uh, Michael Merrick, 7, Phil Henry at 11. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show.
the Rick Emerson radio program. Bright young lads in my chemical romance. Desolation Road there from Watchmen. From the closing credits. Uh, let's see. So I was just reading some of these emails during the break, like this one. I already read this one here in the studio, but this guy says, About that glassass.com video, my friend wrote a song about it called Me and Mason. Would you like him to come sing it in the studio? Yes. The answer to that is yes, sir. Here's another one. Rick, this morning on NPR I heard the theme to Airwolf being used as bumper music. I just thought you'd like to know that. Thank you. Uh, let's see. What else do we have here? We'll get the, some phone calls here in a second. Rick, about the ass ponies. Eh, you know, I'm going to skip that one. Hey, <laughs> Don, one of the monkeys has cancer. Do you know which one? Um. Wait, you have to guess. Now, um, if you're right... I will give you however much, uh, how much, uh, however many coins are in my pocket. I will give you all the coins in my pocket. And he has a lot of coins in his pocket. Well, let's see. If, um, if you can, if you can guess correctly the first time. I know that. Now let, let me let me see if I can work this out. I know that. Now uh, are you going to try to leg- you like logically work your way through this? Well, I know that Mickey Dolenz is the oldest, so it's he's he's um he's a good five to ten years older than the other monkeys, so it could possibly be him. David Jones, though, tiny little guy. Stuff happens to tiny little guys. Yes, it does. I'm just going to say just my my first instinct, Peter Tork. It is Peter Tork, you damn woman. Fine. Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) What do you know? Did you you already know that? No, I didn't. Yes, Peter Tork has um, head and neck cancer. Oh, that's unpleasant. No, nobody wants that. You don't have to give me your change. You already bought me a visa. No, 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 that's fine. No, no, no. Rick Emerson is a man of his word. Yeah. Head cancer almost sounds made up like they don't know where it is. Yeah. They go, ah, it's up here. In this area. He's got a case of the Eberts. Yeah, totally. Like they just well, like they just show an x-ray, and it's like an x-ray of your head, but it's just like, you know, like it's just a big black smudge. <laughs> All right, here you go. Woohoo! The man in the science wow, code. that is, is a lot of change. Yeah, there you go. So, wow, that's really nice of you. You know, Rick Emerson follows through on his promises. Those All are right. dollars in there. Yeah, yeah. I know. All right. Uh, I got about a change. This is change left over, I think, from when he bought me the visa earlier. So yes, yes, it is. You just right. take and take. Them. This is three bucks. Yeah, that was that was. Look, I didn't, I didn't yeah. even really, you know, I just, I wanted to, I wanted to live up to my end of the bargain because look, your odds were Do one and four, good. but you still nailed it. So, hey, real quickly before we talk, uh, Watchman, I'm just going to read this headline. This is an actual headline from CNN.com. CNN, the world's premier news gathering and disseminating organization. This is an actual headline from CNN.com. It says, Dora the Explorer going skank, mom's fear. That's amazing. Again, from CNN.com, the home of news that matters. Dora the Explorer going skank, mom's fear. All right. Hey, speaking of headlines, uh, real quickly, I said we were going to do Watchmen. We will in just a second. But I, we didn't do the Tanya watch. We should do the Tanya watch and then we should talk real briefly about Storm Large and her affair with Sam Adams, which was on Coin last night. I don't know if you all saw Coin News. No. Did they take that seriously? Yeah, they're not that bright. Um, oh, so, good Lord. Well, in just a moment here, let's do this. Here's your Tanya Watch for Friday on the Rick Emerson radio program. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Don Taylor with your Tanya Watch for Friday. Well, let's all hearken back to a long-ago time when Senator Barack Obama was running for president. 
He spoke at one time about his chances against uh, then-Senator Hillary... Yeah, I can speak. He at one point talked about his chances against uh, Senator Hillary Clinton. And uh, he said, quote, All the pundits, pundits and all the smart folks, they were saying, Okay, his only chance is he's got to kneecap her. He's got to do a Tanya Harding on the front runner." <laughs> unquote. Well, in an interview this weekend with HBO's Real Sports, Tanya Harding addressed these comments, saying, he has this country to think about, he has his candidacy to think about, the war to think about, and he has to bring me up? What the hell is important in this world today? I guess ignoring the fact that he actually said this some time ago. When I, was I am just curious in what she, uh, what she looks like, if there's any sort of a picture of Tanya. Uh, according, you know, in this, uh, you know, in the story, if there's any like, does the, is there a photo or something attached mm, here? Not here, no. Because really, all of these Tanya stories at this point, they are really, it's like how they say that cigarettes are just a nicotine delivery system, and these stories about Tanya Harding are just a photo delivery system. They really only exist so I can see exactly what kind of Tanya we're going to get. Because the thing about her is, I think she's actually, it's odd. I think she's actually getting wider, but. Like, not in just a sort of, like, eating a lot, maybe not skating so much kind of way. I mean, like, like her head is getting wider. It's, it's, it's as though the, there's some weird sort of horizontal uh, gravity thing happening on her. And she actually is sort of being stretched apart like that woman's face in Brazil right before they give her the, uh, the facelift or something. So, well, I've always wanted, and this is, this is a great opportunity for me to ask this question publicly. I'm not a native Oregonian. So what is the deal with the hair skinned back as tight as it will go ponytail. Right. Why is that considered an attractive thing? If you if you are a woman in, in the Portland area, you are listening to the show right now, don't do that. I don't understand <laughs> why. Um, and you'll see these girls have actually like spent some time at it, just getting their hair back so tight their scalps must ache. Yes. To, to get, and, and then sometimes there's, you know, there's the uh, version that has the, the little, like, dried out permed uh, bangs well you know yeah, they'll, but, well, they'll do that where they look like sally brown charlie brown's sister where there's like the weird spray of bangs <laughs> in the front and then everything else is like like yanked back as though they got it caught in a car door yeah and i i used to live upstairs from uh, in an apartment from a woman who had her hair done like that and we referred to her as the tanya harding girl because every time we see her with that that horrible horrible ponytail yeah they're, they're and it's a huge apparently fashion choice yeah they're hicks don't is that it? Yeah, yeah, yeah I never see those. Yeah, that's, yeah. You you don't spend enough time at the uh, at the triple nickel. Oh, I do see them at like Lloyd Center. Yeah, well, or there. Yes. Yeah, yeah anywhere that uh, anywhere you, they're selling anything that has Scarface on it, you you'll see that. So uh, anyway, Harding, uh, who is no stranger to the spotlight, did concede that the comments may have actually helped her. Uh, she told the interviewers, "I get jobs because he used my name on national television because people forget who Tanya Harding is." All right. Well, there you go. There's your Tanya watch for Friday on the Rick Emerson radio program. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. <clears throat> nah. There we go. Two brief things before Watchmen. This one says, Dateline Madrid. Sarah found this. Spanish police arrested a man arriving at, you know, every so often, just see some criminal, usually a drug smuggler of some kind, and you kind of go like, well, well done. Good for you. Spanish police arrested a man arriving at Barcelona's airport from Chile after determining that the cast on his fractured leg was made of cocaine. 
That's pretty cool. The in- exactly. The Interior Smart. Ministry said in the statement, the 66-year-old Chilean man had an actual fracture of two bones below the knee, uh, but he they suspect this is... Now, see, this is dedication. Suspect that he intentionally fractured it so that the cocaine cast could be applied. That is devotion to one's craft, is well, what that is. Of course he is, because if you screw up, you get sent to the soup master. Seriously, the, soup, the <laughs> stew maker. Stew maker. Yeah. Um, so, the soup master's his cousin. <laughs> that's he, he's franchising. He's that Gallagher, too. Um, okay, so real quickly, I got an email yesterday morning, and this guy emailed me yesterday morning. He's like, hey, uh, Rick, I was listening to the Lars station, and they were saying that Storm is having an affair with Sam Adams. What is up with that? You know, love the show, Bob. And I... I, said, I emailed back, and I said, I don't know, and I forwarded the email to Storm, and I said, hey, I don't know what this is all about, but it was an interesting way to start the morning. What is up with this? And Storm emailed back, and she said, I have no idea, but keep spreading the rumor. It's fantastic. And I said, fine. And then Storm emailed me back last night, and she's like, apparently the deal is Coin6 is going to be running some story tonight, that is last night, Thursday night, about Sam Adams and I, because, you know, they do the Candidates Gone Wild thing. And that was way back before the election. And, you know, the candidate's gone wild. It's not like that's some ad hoc thing happening in a basement. Like, that's, you know, the Willamette Week is part of that, and the, the, the Oregon Bus Project. Coin covered it. Coin covered it. <laughs> Randy Leonard, Sam Adams, Storm Large, Byron Beck. I mean, it's a, it's an act. It was at the Roseland, I think. I mean, it's an actual. Sarah co-hosted mm-hmm. it. Um, it is an actual, real, like, event. So it's not that the, it's not that Coin6 was swindled by this as such. It's just that this is... As they say on FARC, I love old news. So this is from a long time ago, and also, like, it's a ga- it's a goof. It's, it's like, before, from before the election. It's like six months old. Yeah, it's like when they pull things from that ca- from the uh, that uh, the White House correspondence dinner, you know, where the president is saying some sort of edgy joke, and they try to, like, is he, you know, the, has the president gone too far? And it's like, you know, or like at a roast, where somebody says something in a roast, and they try to make a big deal. Candidates Gone Wild is basically a roast, but it's politics. So, at Candidates Gone Wild last year, there was a video... Uh, where city commissioner Randy Leonard is, the gag in the video is he's trying to prove that Sam Adams is secretly straight and having an affair with Storm Large. And he keeps calling her a hussy and, and a keeps, tramp and stuff. Totally. And I can't talk about all of this on the air, uh, but uh, I'm going to put it on my website so you can go see it. In the video, Randy Leonard is stalking Sam Adams and Storm Large all around town. They're like going shopping and they're going to a restaurant and there's cameos from Byron Beck from, you know, then at the Willamette, whatever. And at the end, Randy Leonard sneaks into the supposed house where Storm and Sam Adams are getting, you know, getting it on. And they go, it's like concentric layers of breaks. They go in and first of all, he runs into Sam Adams who's in the hallway dressed like a giant mouse, which is just great. I mean, either a mouse or a cat. I can't quite tell, but he's got a the mouse. painted nose and he's got the ears and he's all like with a tail. And he's like, hello, what are you doing here? And it's Sam Adams dressed like a big mouse. Then he hears a sound coming from the bathroom. I have to be very careful about this. He opens the bathroom door, and Storm, also dressed like a mouse, I might add, is using the uh, toilet while standing up because apparently she is um, she has a, a member. So not only is Sam straight, but Storm's a man. Storm has a penis. Yeah. And, she, uh, and he reveals this when she turns around. She turns around and sullies his shoes. And I can't you really give the punchline in the air, but Randy Leonard looks at the camera and he says... He reveals that Storm um, relieved herself on his shoes, and then he says, with a penis, and he runs away, and the behind, the door shuts, and you hear Storm behind the door going, don't tell anybody. <laughs> and then he runs, hilarious by, video. he runs by Sam Adams on the way out, and then Sam says, I told you I was gay, and then he's like, why not, no, 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 no. So that was months ago. So I guess Coyne runs this story last night, 
this is the groundbreaking journalism for which uh, Portland Television News is known. And they use, in fact, they must be playing some drinking game over there because it actually says, does this video go too far? And it says, does its presence on YouTube cast a negative political light on the city of Portland? Yes, because this video is what's going to cast a negative political light. Uh, Our mayor doesn't get invited to anything, but a YouTube video, holy cow, it's going to Guy can't leave his house. He's in, a, he's in like a secure location with Dick Cheney somewhere, and this video is what's going to cause a negative mm -hmm. light. The only reason, and I'm looking at this now, the only reason this is on Coin's website, the only reason they have done this is to draw people to their website and to get people like putting comments in the comment section right. and linking to YouTube and thus bumping up their, well, on, their well, online and, ad revenue. Well, and, that's and totally, the only reason that they must have looked at the scandal meter. You know, time to feed it. You know, because the, like, yeah, the, like the like the controversy flame was dying, so like you got to put a little, you know, you got to blow on it, put a little tinder in there. Now, I bet you they were sitting around and somebody they were having a meeting, and somebody said, "How can we drive more people to our website?" Maybe. And somebody said, "You know, we just need." How about if we link to that uh, video? That, that Sam that's Adams guy. Yeah, that's that's exactly maybe maybe Coin should go back to booking interviews and then ditching the people on the street and pretending Northeast Forty Second is Southwest Clay. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Oh. Well, <laughs> you know what? They'll uh, they, they can put the, they you know, they can clear space on this website for that video of uh, Storm of Sam singing the you know the song about Storm's lady parts, which. Mm -hmm. Exist. <laughs> All right, Aaron Duran, yes. uh, Watchmen opening today and wide release. Yes, it is. All right, your thoughts. Geek in the I... city thoughts. And by the way, I don't know that we're going to spoil anything or not, but I mean, just duly noted. Twenty-three years old. I know. I know. What? You have the noise. Um. Yes, I have the klaxon. But as Aaron just noted, yeah. A, the book is twenty-three years old, and B, I don't really know that there are. I mean, huge spoilers in the sense that it really is about the journey, not the destination. I yeah, mean, no, and that was always been the point, even the graphic yeah. novel. It's not the last two pages aren't the reason why you read that. But I'll, but I will play the spoiler sound. <laughs> there you go. All right, butt slam. All right. So, your thoughts on Watchmen? I liked Watchmen. Um, I liked what Snyder uh, attempted. I think Watchmen is the best theatrical movie, best theatrical adaptation we could get. In terms of, I mean, it's it's all it's all there. I mean, that's what's it, that's what's so frustrating with me trying to review Watchmen, is that you know the, the bones are all there, like like the plot, some right. of the character arcs, it's all really there, but it, it's kind of missing its soul. It's like it's a really good dessert. It tastes fantastic and it looks great, but like an hour later, you, it's all Splenda. Yeah, you're you're kind of empty, yeah. you know. Afterwards, you had a great time when you were there, mm -hmm. but you're not walking away. It doesn't it doesn't challenge your beliefs or opens your eyes to you know, the underbelly of the superhero genre the way the book does. And I don't think any, you know, two-and-a-half-hour theatrical film... I was going to ask you, do you think, in terms of one feature-length motion picture, give it three hours, Is it? do you think in those terms, is it unfilmable in the sense of being successful? Uh, in terms of wanting to get across everything, I think so. I mean, for the longest time, people used to say that Lord of the Rings was the unfilmable movie. Right. Well, you know what? They were right. As one three-hour film, Lord of the Rings is an unfilmable. Right. But as That's a 12-hour right. film. As a 12-hour film, you can pull it off. Right. The other, the other thing, though, is that um, I don't know if the average film-going public, the one that Hollywood wants to get their money from, is going to sit through you know, a nine-hour theatrical Watchmen, right. you know, released once but a we year. we will. <laughs> we would. And, you know, when, when Snyder, who was flat-out said... The one you get on DVD for me, he mm -hmm. says, that's my... The, the full-on director's cut. Yeah, yeah, that, that's yeah. the movie I shot. That's the best I can give you on screen. Right. Because it's clear that when you're watching the film, 
Snyder loves that book. Right. He, I mean, well, he, you would he have to, otherwise you would just. Make why would you put yourself through this? Spider-Man Five or something. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, why would you put yourself because he Snyder was in a terrible position of he couldn't win either way. Right. You know, he either gave the purists what they want, thereby making everyone in Hollywood angry and guaranteeing he would never get a job again. Or he makes Hollywood happy, thereby angering us and no longer giving him credit ever again. So he he couldn't win either way. So I think he delivered the best film he possibly could. I will say this. My my one thought is, apart, I mean, everybody agrees that opening credit sequence is one of the best things ever filmed. Oh, my God. It's fantastic. I, I will say that when it was over... I had no desire to see it again. I'll probably see it again at some point. I, when it was over, though, it was like sometimes we'd be like, I can't wait to see that again. Yeah. And I didn't feel that way. I will say this, that I, the, the one real misery to me about Watchmen is that if you didn't, if you weren't familiar with the book or hadn't read it or whatever, if you went and saw that movie, A, these are two sides of the same thought, I guess, A, I don't necessarily know that seeing that movie would make you want to go read the book. I don't think you'd be like, now I must read the book. And, and the, the corollary to that is, I don't really know that if you showed Watchmen to somebody who didn't really, who came into it from a layman's, you know, street-level knowledge, where they have some pop culture sense of superheroes, but they don't really know much beyond what we all know as Americans about superheroes. And you said, all right, now you're watching this. Now, what is the theme of this movie? In other words, why is this considered so important? I'm not saying it has to be just like the comic. I'm really not. Oh, but no, if no. you showed it to somebody and you said... Why has this been considered an important work all these years? Why is it important enough that everybody cares this much? I don't know that anybody could tell you why. I, I don't know if they could tell you why. They might ha- it might give them an inkling because I actually think that someone whose only real exposure to the superhero genre or comic books through has been through like the last ten years in the resurgence of decent comic book films. There, I mean, like the first Spider-Man and the right. X-Men, Spider-Man Two, Batman Begins, you know, Iron Man. As we kind of started to see. You know, the American film-going public saw this is what superheroes are. If that was your only real exposure, that and, like, some TV shows, and then, bam, Watchmen comes out, right. I think it will affect them in much the same way people who grew up, you know, reading comic books and then, you know, Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons slam us in 86 with this. And, by the way, it is worth noting that um, everybody kind of calls Moore a hypocrite for saying that it can't be filmed and then giving the rights. And just as he did with V for Vendetta... All of Alan Moore's royalties from this film, he took his name off it, and all of his royalties go to the guy who drew it, yeah. to, to Dave Gibbons. So, like, he's, he, That's awesome. he, I mean, he watched the talk. He was just like, he's like, I'll take my name off, and he's like, I, you know, he's like, whatever money, he's like, give it to that guy. He's oh like, yeah, no, I mean, so. Well, Moore himself has, uh, in in an interview I read, he quoted uh, Raymond Chandler that there someone interviewed Raymond Chandler once and said, you know, asked him how he felt about Hollywood ruining all of his books. And he walked the interviewer to his personal library and waved his hand at the shelves and said, nobody's ruined my books. They're there. Right. They're right there. And uh, they're still there. And Alan Moore takes exactly the same attitude towards his work. It's like, okay, you want to you want to give us some money? Fine. But it's not my book. Right. And then he goes and he stands over a cauldron <laughs> yeah. and buys pewter jewelry. Yes, he does. <laughs> and then eats a lot of, you know, meat products and they get stuffed in his beard and he quotes out. If you'd like to buy some of my tapestries, I will be down at the public market this weekend. I picture him hanging out with Jim Steinman. Or with oh. Dawn at a Renfair. Oh, or with Jim Steinman and Dawn at a Renfair. Adam Renfair. Yeah. Uh, whenever you get a chance, go to YouTube and type in the, uh, the Sinister Ducks. He did a song called The Sinister Ducks. Really? And um, it's insane. I read a great interview with him in The Onion. The Onion, and it's in their collected book, uh, Tenacity of the Cockroach, which is all their AV club interviews. A great interview with Alan Moore. He's just such a bastard. Oh, yeah. But in just such a lovable way. Just like a smart guy, but just such a dick. Yeah. But you kind of go, well, all right, good for you. Uh, come back after this. We got your uh, calls around the corner. More from Don Taylor, Aaron Duran, and so forth. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Program.
help, by the way, that Rorschach's mask is doing that moving around thing, which is a cool stylistic touch, which they do mention why in the book, but never in the movie. See, and so I think if you were just off the street and you watch it, you'd be like, and he's an alien or a superhero or something, which undoes to me the sort of, that's one of the themes of the book. And then I don't remember why in the book it said that it moved. Leonard Cohen. I don't think they have, did they say yeah, they why did. the mask moved? It, it was a special uh, kind of fabric with that, uh, uh, Reddit design. Wait, yeah, and that was actually going to be a dress for Kitty Genovese. Yeah. I remember it was supposed to be a dress, but... Wow. I forgot that little detail. Yeah. We were just talking about Kitty Genovese yesterday. She's the woman that was stabbed in New York while everybody watched. We were mm, talking about that. Yeah. yeah. Creepy. What did oh. you say, Rick? Hallelujah. Thanks so much. Zack Snyder raped my music library. <laughs> what did you think of this scene, Aaron? Um, the song is what ruined the scene for me. Okay, the scene because the love filmed. Funny, the scene ruined the song for me. <laughs> this okay, this scene in that there's a. I'm just gonna tell you right now. There's like the worst thing you've ever seen in your life. There's a sex scene in Watchmen that is so jaw-droppingly bad. It's like it's it's. You can't mix porn sex bad. with this. And then especially when you're in a big mechanical owl. Okay, was this scene filmed as a gag or straight ahead? I think before was... the retconning begins. Well, no, I think it was filmed straight ahead. Okay, see, Bobby's like, he's like, he's like, Snyder filmed it as a joke. You think, I think he, I think the, there's a punchline at the end that's a joke. Well, if he, if he meant it as a joke, I laughed. So Me too. <laughs> I mean, I hope he meant it as a joke. Because it's one of the worst things I've ever well, seen in a major Well, because the scene in the book is very awkward and uncomfortable and it's sad. to me. And it's supposed that's the thing. That's what can take off their disguises. That's yeah. what bugs me. We I wanted the scene to be awkward and sad. We should say, by the way, that we're referring to there's a in the Watchmen movie, and it's not much of a spoiler, but there's a there's a love scene that happens that is in the book is sort of silly but sad, and in the movie is just silly and sort of like, Oh god, can I go to the snack bar? Yeah. Where Sarah and I at one point actually said, Are you kidding me? out loud. But it's not just silly and sad in the book. It's it's yet another thing that I think Snyder pulled out of the book that now it's kind of wrung some of the humanity out of the movie because the thing about these two characters who I felt like watching this movie that Snyder loved, you know, Rorschach and really didn't have any right. interest, right. you know, in, in, it's the Rorschach in Lor show. Laurie and Night Owl at all. And the thing is in the book, they are people who have been used, their, their lives stink. Right. They, they, and they both have terrible lives. They both have terrible lives. And he, you know, and again, this is a spoiler for the book, not really for the movie so much, but he uh, can't perform sexually the first time they're together. But right. after they have a superhero adventure together and they're wearing the suits, they they make right. love. And they actually discuss it briefly afterwards. Right. Where he, she says, so uh, was it wasn't because you were wearing the suit. And he's like, I'm embarrassed. But, you know, yeah. yeah. And that says a lot not only about those characters, but about all of the people in Watchmen. Right. And yeah. it's another thing that's just missing from the movie entirely. Uh, lot, lots of business to get done here. Just the, the closing segment. First of all, don't forget the Punk Show with Sarah X. Dillon on uh, Rock 101 KUFO. Seven, seven to nine. nine. Seven I'm to a, nine. I'm a big fan of that Oh, thanks. And we should also say, actually, because we provide entertainment across the spectrum, ladies and gentlemen, amplitude and frequency modulation. Mm -hmm. uh, Sunday night, 6 to 7, CBS Radio Theater with Kimmy Waters and also AZ. Ooh, I'm really jazzed for this one. Followed by Musicology with Kristen Bowie and Adam Thompson. Uh, and I want to say one other final bit of business. So today... Today is the final broadcast of the Tom Likas Show, and beginning Monday, we've had a lot of people ask if this is what we we're going to do, and the answer is yes. Uh, the Michael Mara Show, which has been on the station for a long time, and has been in Portland for a long time, Michael Mara will be airing in the Tom Likas slot, so we will be kind of basically moving everything up a bit. So uh, our program followed by Michael Mara, followed by Phil Henry, followed by John and Jeff. So that begins Monday, the Michael Mara Show, at 3.
Aaron Durang, Geek yeah. in the City, go. Uh, Geek in the City right now, we've got the new episode of uh, Geek in the City Radio, issue 8, and it's pretty much if you really want to just go crazy with Watchmen discussion, that's what you can find. And I have the new Star Trek trailer, and it looks righteous. Really? Oh, it, it really does look very cool. DawnTaylorFilm.com? Yes. Anything else to promote? Uh, and starting next week, I'll be blogging at Cinematical.com. Cinematical. Excellent. All right. Uh, we want to thank Don Taylor for joining us today. Also, thank Aaron you. Duran. Also, thank Steve Kastenbaum. Also, Jim Roop and Dick Uliano. Uh, the Rick Emerson Show produced today and every day with the lovely and talented Sarah Stillman for AM970 The Talker. The Newsroom, Don Taylor on the phones, Richard Bristol, the gatekeeper, Davis, and the webmistress, Bridget from upstairs. And, of course, CBS Radio Portland marketing guru, Susan. Don't F with me, Reynolds. As always, thank you for listening. Be safe. Watch out for snakes and stuff and things and nouns of all varieties. Uh, have a good weekend. We'll see y'all Monday. Thanks for listening. Bye. Shiny, a slang term for great use in the television series Firefly and the movie Serenity.